You're listening to The C-Dub Show. Visit us on the Say Something Nice podcast network at ssnpodcast.com. Follow us at The C-Dub Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Acast. And now, on to our show. everybody everyone everyone it is a new episode of the c-dub show we are recording this live on sunday march i almost said may good god sunday march the 10th and it is we made it into march made it out of my birthday month we did not record a birthday episode but yay and all that good stuff um, it is a special month. It is Women's History Month. So we are celebrating um, International Women's Day and Women's History All Month. And also we are getting ready for our annual trip to the Dinosaur Festival. But first, before we get into any of that, we are going to introduce our panel for today. First, we have... My good friend and fellow, well, I'm former, she's current, auto straddle writer, Mackenzie McDade. Mackenzie, where are you? Hello, right hello, hello. Hello, how are I'm you? I'm here. Yay. Good. Um, wait, still current auto straddle writer, right? Yes? No? Oh, oh, I have a new one going up next week. Yay, getting ready for A camp? Yes. That's my entire life. <laughs> 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 All I do from like January to May. Well, thank you for joining us on the show today, Mackenzie. Absolutely. Um, next we have my good buddy Lucy. Lucy, welcome back to the show. Hi, everyone. I really do need to get like a hand clap <laughs> thing. I, I say that like every other episode. It hasn't happened yet. Whatever. How are you, Lucy, out there in Kentucky? I am phenomenal. Glad oh. to be here. You're phenomenal. I am. I'm not saying anything. All right. <laughs> and we have a new friend to the show. We have Stephanie from the Mocha Minutes podcast. Hello, Stephanie. Hi. Yeah, you do. You need to clap. Y'all don't effect. like my. You need like a jingle palette. <laughs> no, we we like your soul churchy clap, but we're just saying that you might want to put it in your jingle palette. Listen, I put a lot of years in church. 
uh, getting my clap together. Y'all not going to hate on my clapping. I'm... We not hating. We just saying it might need some amplification. That's oh, all okay. we saying. Okay, look, they're not hating. I am judging. Don't judge me. Ooh. So, Stephanie, can you, See, tell us a little... nice. can you tell us a little bit about the Mocha Minutes podcast, please? Oh, yeah. So the Mocha Minutes podcast <laughs> is my place where I want to say it is the potpourri category of Jeopardy of black shit. Oh. So I talk current events. I talk my single life. I talk mental health, anything that's going on in the world. If it's, you know, it might be fun and funny and or serious and or something you need to talk about. It might be all encompassed in that. Usually I have a guest. I now have a spinoff show where um, a few of my friends join us and we talk about our lives but then we talk about one topic and you know we're aunties and uncles so we're in that age bracket where we like to talk do y'all drink because y'all aunties and uncles do y'all drink yeah. y'all be talking oh we drink pour up and roll up so Woo! you know some of us live in places where recreational um activities are legal yeah i don't live in that state oh okay sorry <laughs> <laughs> i wish you know maryland is a little it's it's a blue state, but you know we look mighty red sometimes. Oh, look, I'm sorry. I I'm, I'm well, I mean personally. Did you say the harbor? The hashtag Inner Harbor. <laughs> what is the Inner Harbor, y'all? It's oh the whitest part of Baltimore that you could possibly go to. It's where the Peabody yeah. Classical Music Institute is for Johns Hopkins, and I lived there for part of a summer. I was the only black person that I saw. I mean, to be fair, that is at Peabody, so I'm not surprised by that at all. <laughs> well, well, yeah, it, it can get really hood at the Inner Harbor, but it's like if anybody says, "Oh, you go to Baltimore," oh, I've been to the Harbor. Like that literally is not helping your case. I went to Pig Town. I was like, "Okay, here are my people. We good. We good." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go to Candle Yards. Like during ba- baseball season, it's pretty lit. I'm pretty consistent that the only place I want to go is where uh, The Wire was. Uh, not The Wire. Uh, yeah, it was The Wire. What show was in Baltimore? Yeah, The Wire. Wire. Mm-hmm. That's where I want to well, go. Well, it's filmed in East Baltimore, but it takes place in West Baltimore. So you want to come to East Baltimore. Oh, okay. That's where, that's where I'm going to go. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. So a couple of things, folks. So as I said, we are getting ready for our annual trip to the diner. What is the diner? I'm sorry, Stephanie's supposed to ask that. Ask your question, well, Stephanie. I am. Hey, guys, question. What's the diner? Oh, my God. <laughs> what do you mean? What is the diner? What do you mean? Oh, geez. So the diner. <laughs> it's a circuit party for lesbians. <laughs> it, is, it is the highest concentration okay. of le- le- or the biggest lesbian party anywhere known to man. Now, the history of the diner festival and I'm saying this off of the top of my head, solely from what I've read somewhere on Wikipedia and can't find mixed in with the L word. So back sometime in the 80s, they had the Dinosaur Craft Classic on the PGA Tour. And so, you know, of course, you know, there were some white lesbians that were on the PGA Tour. So they went to Palm Springs for this Dino, um, you know, PGA event. And then they invited their friends. And what do lesbians do when we all get together? We have parties. And then every year, they kept inviting their friends. And they kept inviting more friends until the dinosaur party just picked up steam and took over the whole Palm Springs and became its own event. 
Now, the last time I went, maybe that was four years ago, there was still a PGA event there. Nobody goes. Um, but it wasn't the Dinah, and that's mostly because Dinah Shore, who was an actual actress back then in the 60s or 50s or something, I don't know, was not very pleased with the fact that her name had now become more synonymous with this lesbian weekend than her acting career. But mm, then she exactly. died. Yeah, but then she died and no one cared. So <laughs> Wow. All right. So All now right. every year the lesbians, <laughs> now the lesbians take it over every year. It has actually spun off also into a lot of other outside parties. But yeah, you know, good times at the diner. And if you and if so, you, if you guys go ahead, if you guys didn't know, I will be the Kit Porter of this retrospective. Yay, oh. <laughs> lady! I'll be Kit, except I don't have a drug and or alcohol problem. Oh, that's good. Do, do you get along with your <laughs> son? You get along with your son and your dad. I do okay, I don't have good. a son, but I have a dad, but I do get along with him. So yeah, so I am the Kit of this show. Well, we I'm are a very bad cross between Jenny and Alice, so. Well, you no. know, I've been binge-watching oh, be recently, and at different times, I am everyone. There was even a point where I was Angus. So. <laughs> wow. That was recently. I was Angus recently. You know, me and my Cougar Hunter exploits. But I, I look, I'm looking at the history just to make sure that I have it correct. It is considered the largest lesbian event in the United States and the world. Held each spring, the event offers a series of pool parties, night entertainment, oh no, Siri, I didn't ask you, uh, live concerts, and top 10 billboard recording artists, comedy shows, sports games, and social networking opportunities, otherwise known as hooking up. So we, <laughs> <laughs> we welcome all you Dinah goers who are listening to this and you found it on the Dinah website. We love you. We will see you in, in Palm Springs. I will be out meeting all the beautiful people and taking all the pictures and posting them to the C-Dub show site. And also after we do this episode, I have another special edition of the Six Degrees with C-Dub with our good friends at Stuzo Clothing who are going to be doing a runway show during the Dinah. So... It's going to be a good time had by all. And, you know, I'm getting over some shit. And, you know, it's always a good idea to go to the diner when you're getting over a woman. No, oh, it's not. Yes, it is, child. Ma'am, okay. I've gotten over when I was getting over a woman, when I was getting through a woman, I have gone to the diner. Okay, just because you're getting over one doesn't need me need to get under anymore. Like, I okay. need you to. <laughs> mm, I did not tell you I've been everybody. I've been bent. Nope. I've been shamed. I've been saying a lot. Enjoy. <laughs> Thank you. See, Stephanie is, is Kit. Kit was always the one that would give you, like, just be just be yourself. Thank you, Kit. Be yourself, honey. You just, you go through, over, under, all of them. I'm going to try. Too. I'm really going to try. I know I just turned 40, but, you know, that's the best time. Nope. No, you in your prime. Them your prime thought years gone. That, you yeah, know, actually, I'm in my prime thought years now. I figured that out. Anyway, so let's go ahead and get the show started. And we're going to get started with, since we're talking about the Dinah, our favorite Dinah memory. So we've already established that Kit Porter over there doesn't have Dinah memories, but hopefully learning, <laughs> hopefully learning about the Dinah will be a memory. Um, I know, Mac, you said you had a kind of Dinah memory. What was that? So when I was about 22, uh, I was going through my first lesbian psychodrama. Uh, 
<laughs> with a girl who my then mentor describes as Shane with less emotional depth. Oh, okay. uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. She was a lot, y'all. Like, my therapist and I still talk about her. That's how bad she was. <laughs> but there's a whole little crew of us at the Gay Lesbian Centers Youth Group. And none of us had, like, laptops or internet. So we were trying to coordinate people from Northridge, Torrance, Rock, and the West Side all to get to the Gay and Lesbian Center on time to make sure we could pool enough of our cash to put on one person's debit card to buy five passes for the diner. We did not have a hotel, the Prius, but we were going to make this happen. This is the greatest story ever. Go then. on. <laughs> so uh, one girl's is car this breaks expensive? Down. It's well to get a, a a weekend pass. I think this year is I think it's one seventy five. It depends on what you're what you're planning to do. It's kind of like it's, I mean not it kind of like it is Freaknik. Like you don't have to go to the official events. It's just nice. Okay. You can you oh, can just walk yeah. around Palm Springs half naked and you'll still have the same amount of fun. <laughs> but we were a bunch of like you know college kids, half of whom weren't out from to their parents. Like two of us were painfully in love with someone who wasn't in love with us. We had the local Shane. It was an entire mess, y'all. <laughs> and in the end, it like it it was so bad. And in the end, what happened was I had enough money for my ticket. Did but our resident Shane was like. I mean, we're such close friends. Like, I can pay you back when my parents come over there from Singapore uh, and bring me money for graduation. And, like, in that moment, I was like, oh, this bitch is Shane. Oh, yeah. We're not doing this. <laughs> so we got, like, to the, like, putting numbers in, like, the website for me to realize, oh, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> well, you know what? You are crazy. Yeah. Some heartache. Don't you save yourself in trouble. Not enough. It still kept going, but I didn't. I wasn't dumb enough to take her. <laughs> don't, look, don't pay for Shane to go to the diner because Shane will. Don't do it, child. You ain't I, I didn't do it. So that was my diner almost story where I dodged a bullet. Well, I have only been to the diner three times, I think. But everyone has just weird, random stories attached. No, the first one, I didn't even go. That one wasn't almost going to the diner. The first one, I was in my first relationship, my first lesbian relationship. So I would have been about 25. And, you know, I had this living girlfriend. I should, I, I needed some friends. Tell me not to move in with this girl. So <laughs> we going through whatever we going through. But, you know, I'm dumb because this is my first relationship. I don't know that what we going through is really bad and it's about to go down a bad road. So she just, she gets the quote unquote modeling gig to model in this show at the diner. And I'm not invited. Mm -hmm. to, I'm not invited to go to the diner with her. Oh, so first God. of all, the week before oh, no. we went with her and the, the event promoter to, I don't know if we were event scouting. I don't know what we were doing. I don't know why we went to Palm Springs, but I went with them. That was my first time ever going to Palm Springs. Then the next weekend was the, the actual festival, and she goes down. She was calling me from clubs and shit and, like, all this kind of stuff. And I'm just sitting there at the house dumb, la, 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 la. I'm glad. To, I think I ended up calling her a cab at some point because, you know, this before it Lyft and Uber. It was weird. Then there was the year that I went, um, and, oh, this is my, so I've never seen the show The Real L Word. Ever, ever, ever. What? 
Never seen I've never the real seen it either. But I wow. will tell oh, girl, you. I was partying while that show was being filmed. I can tell you about that well, show. Well, listen, what? I can tell you that I have, in my own way, I was actually on an episode because in the second time I went to the diner, I was actually, no, this was just, yeah, nothing happened even before the first time. The second time we went to the diner, we're in our room, it's like late at night, and we're in the host hotel on the first floor, and we know that we're near where all the talent is because we saw Cece Peniston go by, who I love me some fucking Cece. Oh my God, if anybody know that woman, tell her that she has a lesbian fan in me. So <laughs> we know that we're we know that we're on the floor with all the talent. So this one night we're laying in the bed, we trying to, I'm kidding, if you can believe it, we're trying to sleep. And we hear all this shit in the hallway. And somebody goes into the hallway and the girls from the real L word are fighting and all the cameras are there and everything. And it's on one of the episodes, whatever episode it was that they go to Dinah, that fight is on the episode. I'm like, oh shit, y'all, that's my room right there. <laughs> I'm on the oh real L word. Um, <laughs> this was also the same year that I was with my friends. I, I told you I'm always getting over a woman or getting through a woman. So at this point, I did have this time. I'm the one at Dinah and I left the woman at home this time. I left her at home. So um, we're all drunk and we're out at this restaurant eating after the actual pool party. And some kind of way, I think this because this is before Whitney Houston died. We get into this conversation about Sissy Houston and about whether or not Sissy Houston is a gospel legend or not. And, it, oh, and, it, and it, turns into, it turns into this... That's not an argument I would ever have with you. It's a drunken... It turns into this drunken fight, like a fight about gospel music. How are you drunk at a lesbian weekend fighting about who who's better, uh, Dorothy Norwood or the, the Staple Singers? Like, what? Well, that was terrible. <laughs> Only you. Only I mean, you. Clearly oh, that person didn't know because you don't argue with me over gospel music. You can argue with me about a lot of stuff. Don't argue me about gospel music. You ain't gonna win. Really, especially when you're drunk. <laughs> especially when I'm drunk, because I, I will go to I will go to war over the Clark sisters. <laughs> okay, ask me later about when I finally did meet Dorinda, and I think I shocked her because I ran up to her and gave her a big lesbian hug. That's another conversation oh, no. for another episode. <laughs> so mm. those those are my yeah. favorite, my favorite Dinah memories. All right, so the reason that we are all here is the to do a retrospective of a lot of people, not everyone's favorite um, lesbian show, The L Word. As a lot of people know, The L Word has been picked up by Showtime as a revival in the grand scheme of all of these revival shows that are coming out. Uh, most of them are terrible. We're hoping that the L word is not. But in order for it to not be terrible, there are a lot of things that the L word itself needs to resolve or else it will just suck. I, when I first heard about the revival, I was very, very anti the revival because a lot for a lot of us, um, we are still stuck with the memories of season five and six. One, two, three, and kind of four. Not really four. Four was shaky too. Mm-hmm. But one, two, and three, yeah. A plus. Four, and B minus five and six hell to the no and <laughs> and it gets it gets to a point where you're like we don't need another L word because that shit was terrible but I mean we you can give them an opportunity if they get some POC writers and some non-binary writers and all that good stuff into the room to redeem themselves so what we are going to do today is do a retrospective of the entire series uh, we're going to go over the story arcs, we're going to go over the characters, and we're going to try and do it as efficiently as possible. But let's kick off our retrospective by asking this question, because 
Well, first, let me give you the, the history of the L word. I'm sorry, my bad. I'm not looking at my script. So the history of the L word, the L word actually started as, oh, no, no. I thought it started as a rebuttal to queer ass folks. Because if you go back and watch the TV show, Queer Ass Folks. <laughs> That's not what that show was. Well, it's, it felt like it because was. Queer Ass I Folks. It, but I thought it was, though. Well, it wasn't. We're going to get to that part of the history. But it felt like it was because Queer Ass Folks was so fucking anti-lesbian that I couldn't believe that that show got to stay on the air as long as it did. Like, the way that they treated Melanie and... Um, Mag, do you remember what Melanie's um, partner's name was? Um, Lindsay. Oh. And- the way that those characters treated Melanie and Lindsay was just terrible. They would talk about them being carpet munchers and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, these are y'all friends. One of y'all is the father of their kid. What is happening? And actually, there was a... Uh, no, both of them were the father of both of their kids. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because they that's had right. two. Yeah. Yeah. But that show it was... all messy. That show was so deeply anti-lesbian. And actually, the character, Lindsay Peterson, is listed on one side as one of the worst... LGBTQ characters in television <laughs> history. Um, <laughs> Over the course of the show's five seasons, Melanie and Lindsay dealt with infidelity twice. Once when Melanie had a one night stand with a woman in season one, and again with Lindsay has an affair with a man, Sam, in season four. This caused a separation between <laughs> Melanie and Lindsay, who moved in with her mother. When her mother tried to set her up with another man, Lindsay told her that in spite of her infidelity, she was still a lesbian. At the end of the series, Lindsay and Melanie reconciled and decided to move to Canada with their children to avoid further government and personal discrimination for same-sex couples. They sound a lot like Bet and Tina, except for they were, I mean, Bet and Tina had their own issues, but we'll get to that. But actually, um, the L word is not a spinoff, or not spinoff, but not a response to correct folks. According to one article, the L word was actually pitched before queer ass folks. Um, but as we know, most times the men, the, the men show every is going to get green lighted. You said what? Queer as folks. Every time you say that. <laughs> oh, you so black. I queer am. as folks. Well, you know, it's funny when I was doing my research, I kept putting in queer ass folks. So, and, oh, and Google kept saying, it do is. you mean You are ass? so funny. You can't go to the Chuck E. Cheese's. <laughs> no, oh no, I'm from, I'm from Louisiana, so when I, go, when I go, I go to the Walmart. I don't go to Walmart. I go to the Walmart. Lord, the country you ass. Go to the so I, go I go to the, the JC Penney's. <laughs> y'all gonna leave? Y'all gonna leave me alone? So it, it was initially pitched before queer ass folks, um, but for whatever reason, of course, queer ass folks was was picked up first. It was initially compared to Queer Ass Folks and HBO Sex in the City and dubbed Showtime Gay Answer to Sex in the City um, and was mm-hmm. said to be the definitive news Sex in the City only with more true sex. Oh, yes, it was. And, oh, boy. And, and dramatic intent. Now, somewhere in here, where is it? Because there was at some point during the run of Queer Ass Folk, folk there was a trailer... <laughs> For the show, which was called Earthlings, and it was initially a show called Earthling, an ensemble that was ordered by Showtime. And at the point of this article, which is on After Ellen, which we know which is in and out these days, um, had not been little information had been released at that point. Um, but it was still the same, all the same cast of characters. So that was Jennifer Beals, Laurel Holloman, Pam Greer, um, Karina Lombard, Kate Monig, Leisha Haley, and Aaron Daniels. So it had the same cast. I think a lot of it just changed as they went on and finished up the show. Um, the only similarity to Queer as Folk 
Was it same-sex relationships? <laughs> um, this particular article goes on to say shit that you make you know somebody white wrote it. Though there are many problems with the L word, the series has made positive steps for the visibility of not only lesbians but women in general. Well, it, it kind of did. And we're going to get into how complicated it is to talk about the L word considering all the things that it did do and the doors that it did break down. So, folks, and I'm going to start with Lucy because I haven't heard Lucy's voice. Where the freak are you? What was your first your first encounter with the L word? Oh, I've been sitting here giggling my little butt off. That's my- <laughs> experience with L words. So growing up, um, I didn't have cable. I didn't have any of that stuff, right? So I saw the L word at a friend's house and I was like, what is this? They're doing it as lesbians. Why didn't anyone tell me? Like, <laughs> like what rock have I been living under? Um, and so from that point on, I just started to binge watch it. Um, that was like, I first saw it when season two. So I had to go back and catch up by the time I had realized this was there. Um, and I was kind of hooked from there, but it definitely had its problems as far as representation goes. But I, it was still the first time that on the mainstream on that you've seen that many lesbians live in their life regardless, you know? I Amen to that. Okay. Let's go to the Kit Porter of the group. Stephanie, what was their first encounter with that lesbian show the l word not that lesbian (laughs) show so here's the thing i was a queer as folk watcher so when they came up with the l word i'm like oh we got some women and then i saw homegirl from flash dance and i was like oh i definitely gotta watch this now (laughs) (laughs) oh fuck out of here i'm so watching this oh my goodness that okay oh yeah because i watched queer as folk i was like i'm definitely gonna watch the l word and so, yeah, that's how I got hooked on it because I had cable like when I was in because, you know, this was during college. So when I was in college, I couldn't really watch it at school because the only um, premium channel we had was HBO. So I would watch it when I would go home to my parents' house. OK, that sounds about close to mine. Mackenzie McDade. I watched it. And it's a funny thing. I watched it with my mother because she liked the show, too. Oh, oh. Wow, that's cute. That's not, my mother watched Queer as Folk. Me and my, yeah, my mother loved it, too. Oh, she loved that show. She loved Queer as Folk, too. I had never seen... I don't hmm. think I ever saw Queer as Folk until I actually came out, which was when it was damn near over. <laughs> I feel like I never watched Queer as Folk. Mackenzie McDay, what was your first encounter with the L word? So uh, it kind of starts with Queerest Folk. So Queerest Folk started the year I started being homeschooled when I started middle school in 2000. So I had a bunch of friends whose parents worked for whatever station it was, Showtime, I guess. And so they would get screener copies. Oh. Yeah, because all of their sons are super gay. And I think it's funny that so many of them are now married with kids. But whatever, different story. Um, <laughs> and so we would watch those and then somebody's like oh there's a new one coming out and it was like right as I hit my strides like a thotty little wee ho club kid the L word dropped and I've been sneaking into girl bar for like two years at this point <laughs> oh yes I have to tell everybody like Mackenzie is minute, like in Mac- middle school Mackenzie been gay since I was like, a thotty little club yeah. kid <laughs> are you serious 
think in middle school you were sneaking into the bars? I was the worst. And if my mother ever hears this, she will kill me. <laughs> oh, my God. You're oh a queen, God. a legend. I love it. And that is why I love her. I have a great bouncer story for you later about that. But so when it came out, I was like, I know this area. I know this scene. This will be great to watch. And then I saw it and I was like, that's being that I will never be, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) So we would like watch the screeners and be like, that's Hollywood. And it is nothing like this, but I. Right. (laughs) Shane is cute. (laughs) right and i think that's why you know going into my first encounter i think after i came out i think that's that was the only thing is that it was like my life in west hollywood like i'm from here in the bay i always tell people but i'm not a castro gay i'm not a castro baby i'm a west hollywood baby so for me living back in the bay when i watch it it's like it feels like my life even though my life was not nearly as white and had not nearly as much money and we're gonna talk about that so my first encounter with the L word was, I'm trying to think, was I already sleeping with a woman at that time? I feel like I was. I, so I had started sleeping with a, a friend. <laughs> and then <laughs> I started sleeping with a friend. You were so gay. Yeah. And so <sighs> then I went to visit my family in Louisiana. And this was when season three was getting ready to start. And now, you know, I'm a college student. Well, not a college student at that point. Wait, why was my mom in Louisiana? Now my story is getting confusing. Anyway, no. so <laughs> anyway, so I had I didn't have Showtime, but I went to visit my family, and of course my grandparents did have Showtime, and they were getting ready to air season three, which meant that they were having these, or maybe season three was ending because it was a whole marathon of yeah season three because it was a whole marathon of season three, and so every night I would go in like I was like a sixteen year old boy. And I would hold myself up in the room that I was sleeping in and watch the L word. And that became like my life. Like it like it changed everything. My whole life went downhill after that. I became a big old lesbian. Amen. Is that how that goes? Okay. That's how that well in between that and Noah's Ark, which yes, at some point in this year, oh, probably Noah's before Ark. Can we before, talk about that. Probably before So we can't end because can I come back for the Noah's Ark? Because yes. I was there yeah. for that. Too. Noah's Ark is my thing. That's what I'm gonna say. Sometime before Pride, we will probably do we've been saying that we well, we've been saying we're gonna do an L word retrospective too, but we definitely been saying we're gonna do a Noah's Ark retrospective. So we will do Look, that. I I paid forty whole dollars to jump in the broom, okay? Ah! Wait, but well, at least you found it. Because Forty whole dollars. I was in college and did not have that money, but I was gonna see it to the end. Like you're gonna see this what? whole thing through. Wow. Because you still can't find you can find like Logo has the show on their site, but you cannot find Jump in the Broom Movies nowhere. nowhere. Oh but, no, I have but, a complete box set and jumping the broom. I play no games. And I think it also <laughs> has to do with and I know we're not gonna because we're not gonna get all into Noah's art. But we know a lot of things that go on with Patrick's movies have to do with different rights in different places. So that which makes yeah. it weird that you can't find Jump in the Broom because Logo owns Jump in the Broom. It makes sense that you can't find Punk. That's a distribution issue, and you can usually only see peep not Punk Punks. You can usually only see Punks <laughs> at um you can at festivals, and sometimes Logo will bring it back. But otherwise, the only ones in his movies that you can... You can't even find the skinny no more. You can only find Blackbird right now. 
Hmm. You really ain't gonna be finding. Look, you really ain't gonna be able to find a skinny now that we don't know what's going with Jesse Smollett. But that's another time for another another show. Oh boy, <laughs> that's a whole another show. All right, so let's jump into the L word. So season one. So I'm gonna run through the highlights of season lot. one. Yeah, I'm gonna run through the highlights of season one. And feel free to jump in or throw in anything. And if you have anything about my highlights, and then at the end, we'll talk about some of the, there's a lot of stuff. Season one and season two and season three had so much going on. It was those later seasons that not only were they bad with it, with the way that they treated certain identities in later seasons, they just didn't have as much stuff going on that they were covering. So season one is the season where it starts with this girl named Jenny who moves to West Hollywood of all places. With her boyfriend, Tim. And she moves in and one day or night, I don't remember, because I'm not going back. I didn't binge it so many times. She sees her neighbors outside in their pool making out. So clearly, they're lesbians. It's daytime. She was being a creeper. See? I, that's why I'm glad I got Mackenzie. The, the only person I know who's binge watched more than me. So she sees the lesbians and they all become friends. They invite her to a party. She meets Marina. And the whole thing becomes about... <laughs> Jenny getting turned out by Marina. Ironically, here's where I become an L-word character. Season one is all about Jenny sneaking around Marina and Marina, you know, bringing out her lesbian side, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the season, Marina ended up being the one with her heart broke and trying to kill herself. Listen. Listen, Linda. This is what happened when you <laughs> fuck around with straight girls. And I'm learning that lesson again <laughs> for the 50,000th time. Mm-mm, I don't do it. This <laughs> You know, me and my friend, we are we are accountability like, partners now. Like, don't fuck with straight girl unless you just gonna have sex with them and then going on about your way. Listen, I didn't already told you how to fix that problem. You're not hearing me. You gonna put roots on her? I know. <laughs> not roots. <laughs> so the whole now one thing. So I was been binge watching again this week for our show. The, the interesting thing about it is that once Tim finally figures out that everyone around him is laughing because they all know that Jenny is sleeping around with Marina, the whole show turns into being about Tim. It's all about Tim's feelings and Tim raging like a crazy white man and all this kind of stuff because Jenny is still sleeping around with Marina. Um... Yeah, what did you get? Let's do it like that. What did you guys, in, in, in terms of that first whole season being about quote unquote Jenny being turned out, as the old people would say? Yeah. yeah. So I, for me, like that first part where she's sitting here watching Shane get it in in a pool, I was like, that's some real life stuff. Like, how many times have you was watching before you came out? Like, you just saw somebody getting it in and you was over there thinking, like, damn, I think I can do that too. Like, <laughs> I, I think that's how a lot a lot of us was like, oh, this is right. right. like, the thing. <laughs> what what is happening? Because in- I grew up up in LA with like super super out super super queer people all the time. I was actually like, I'm sorry, these children moved from like the Midwest with dudes, and this is a thing that we do. Like, I, was, <laughs> I had no frame of reference. Well, to this day, I'm still confused about y'all at all places. Ain't nobody told you about West Hollywood. Y'all just moved your ass into West Hollywood? But listen, I'm from Chicago I'm so and I now live in Kentucky. That would be my story. Like you, cause I, how many times have I asked you, like, what part of California is this? Where does this is? I would be that person and have no idea where I'm at and then fall up in La La Land. 
But I mean, wouldn't you? Okay, I can't say wouldn't you be in Westwood because you don't know what Westwood is. Okay, you're right. I mean, you're right. But when when you get there, like when you get to West Hollywood, like there's no like it's the gayest. The only place that's gayer, two places that's gayer, the Castro in San Francisco and the Village in Berlin. Oh yeah. Like, you, like when you get to West Hollywood, aside from the fact that here's oh here is the confusing thing about West Hollywood, is that it's also like where Rodeo Drive and shit is. So when you be watching like TMZ and seeing a celebrity the shit out out uh, shopping and shit, that's still West Hollywood. So all of that is kind of like right is 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 just like California is in most places. It's right next to each other. One minute you in you know Hollywood, Ooh, Hollywood. Next minute you in West Hollywood. You're in Gay Town. Also, specifically, like, in that point in time, before marriage equality became a thing and everyone tried to be like, I want to be a nice dad with a white picket fence, dudes were still walking around shirtless and in chaps and, like, nipple piercing. Like, it was, it was, like, the stereotype that you see of, like, the cast show was still, that's what West Hollywood was. Mm -hmm. Like, there was, you know, sex shops on the street, like... It was a whole situation. So for like these two Midwestern people to be like, we moved into West Hollywood. We saw nothing gay. Really? <laughs> okay. Can I tell a funny story? Yes, please. Just, so Otherwise, I have yes, friends I'm posting who... a show. Ignore me. Absolutely. <laughs> so I have a couple of um, I have a couple of white friends. So they moved from California to here in Baltimore, and they moved to an area called Waverly, and they looked online and just moved there, and. I remember her telling me the story and I went, wait a minute, wait a minute. She moved into, it was full of crack dealers. There was a murderer, like literally two doors down from her. And I remember saying, wait a minute, how did you find this house? Oh, we just looked online and just moved in. I'm like, I'm sorry, you did what now? (laughs) Say what now? Girl. Story. Say say what now? How did you? You just moved online and found a house and it was affordable and then you moved into this very black ass neighborhood for but the thing about it is her neighbors were really cool because obviously they would be but it was still hilarious <laughs> because it was a whole bunch you know there were drug there were drug deals going down somebody got shot and killed on her <laughs> block I'm like that so, does not happen to me and I am black what is going on here so wait a minute um, is what we are describing gentrification was Jenny and Tim like gay gentr or straight gentrifiers wait probably it's <laughs> yes they were oh yeah right. they really they were. were okay. Oh my god, this gay stuff? I'm like, what the hell is going what on? What is here? that is kind of what happened to her though, y'all, right? Like she was like, Oh, wait a minute. And like, you know how gentrifiers build like their own versions of bodegas? This bitch wrote a movie about the neighborhood she moved into. Oh shit. You right. Wow. And then she based it on when she first got Damn. But, like not <laughs> subtly either. <laughs> not, not at all subtly. Okay. At so... least when I talk shit about people in poetry, I'm subtle. <laughs> So some, uh-huh. some other, in, instead of plot points, because of course it's the first season, a lot of time in the first season, you don't get a lot of necessarily plot points. I took down mostly topics. There was a of, plot? Right. I took down mostly topics of things that, you know, that came up, especially those that become themes for the entire show. So some things that I noticed about season one um, is the way that, the way that Kit's blackness devolves almost. But when they first bring her in, and 
you can tell that Eileen Chaikin is just like Quentin Tarantino in the way that they idolize Pam Greer. They basically brought Ooh. her in to plop Foxy Brown down in the. This, somebody knew Pam Greer. And also, mm-hmm. that's really it, it, that's how it came off to me. Yeah, it, like, it, somebody knew Pam oh Greer God. and she needed a job, and they're like, "Oh shit, Foxy Brown wants to be no, on my show." She was supposed to be no, it was supposed to be somebody else, and they wrote the the role for Pam Greer because she was supposed to be somebody else, I think. So somebody knew Pam Greer. <laughs> well, yeah. I think the thing that the thing that I always pick up on in these first the first two seasons with with Kid, especially that first one, is that I'm reminded of a a um interview. That Harold Ramis did when he talked about shooting National Lampoon's Vacation. And he talked about the tropes that you always use when you're trying to let the, the audience know that you're in a black neighborhood or you're in a Latino neighborhood. And he talked about, you know, the use of the wah, 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 wah. Like everything about Kit that this first season is like a wah, wah guitar. This is kid driving a, a um look like was it a deuce and a quarter that she was driving down Hollywood Boulevard when she got stopped by mm-hmm. police uh, and smoking Newports and being a drinker and then uh, Beck comes to her house and all the black dudes from the band the band is here and well it it, it was just so extra uh, and fake right. black can I, can I tell you an Eileen Chicken black people story real quick though oh please do we need lots of those. <laughs> This is how Eileen Chicken views black people. I have met her four times as a young person uh, in the like gay scene. Two of those times, she told me how much I remind her of Tasha. <laughs> we gonna get to that. What? Carolyn knows what I look like. <laughs> Carolyn understands why that's fine. Mackenzie does not look <laughs> anything like. This was she towards the end of the series. That was uh-huh. the that. Let me just say this about Tasha, and I'm gonna say this again when we finally get to her. The fact that they didn't even know how to dress Tasha, that they would just put her in some jeans and an old gray t shirt and pull her hair back. Yes, and that is so that not Mackenzie. Mackenzie got different color. I don't know what color hair Mackenzie got right now. I don't even know if she got hair. She might not have none. <laughs> so, Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Like, it was yeah. like, so like when you talk about how she views yeah like when you talk about how she views i completely understand how she views black people because i'm like bitch you have met me four times right <laughs> there is i in no way look like that woman but okay if, if i may say without being offensive mckenzie they are completely different body types mckenzie is very luscious i love mckenzie i love hugging mckenzie Tasha, I'm built for comfort, not for speed. Yeah, and Tasha, no, I don't want to ever hug Tasha. <laughs> Which leads us, you know what? It's so funny when we talk about that because it does actually lead into my next topic that that I got out of season one, and we talk about this a lot in general: the androgyny of Shane and. Mm. The way that her, number one, the way that her androgyny changed from beginning to the end, the way that a lot of people perceived her when the show first started as the butch, and then in season three, when Myra <laughs> comes, or, when Myra comes around, she, they make it sure that to let you know that Shane does not conce- consider herself a butch. But then also the idea of who gets to be androgynous. That's a whole nother conversation. Mm-hmm. What was your, you guys' thoughts on the androgyny, maybe the first time that you guys saw, if, especially if it was the first season, Shane was walking around in, in tank top and she got him out for for every 21. Oh, I had a poster <laughs> How do we know of Shane she on my wall she for like five have. years and my mother never realized it was a chick. So. Wow. 
Wow, that's like me that Shane reached. <laughs> like, there's this one you know scene what? where where she's walking home past Bet and Tina's house, and she has on like this leather halter thing. And I'm okay, like, but, okay, what is this? That that got used a couple years later in the movie Thirteen about two like teenage girls having their like rebellious streak. That exact top was worn by um, name. can't I, think of her name. Oh. She's on Westworld. Ugh. What were you gonna say, Stephanie? Oh, so this was my take about Shane from the first season. That she slept with, I totally got it. I was like, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. It was something about her. I don't know what it was. I was like, yeah, I can see it. Well, she had like this mad, I don't give a fuck attitude. Like, really, she, she had so much game. It was just ridiculous. Yo, it was like, crazy. And she was like the creator of the Bieber hair. Yeah. I'm like, yes. And if you have like, seen her, if you've seen her like, recently on Grownish, and we're going to, of course, get to that as well. Yes, I don't yes. know what oh, I've never mess. seen. I've that never seen. Well, I love that. I mean, it's cute in a very ABC family kind of way. I've it's never started seen, to get on my nerves. Yes, I've oh, never seen Kate, the situation she's in is bad. Yes, I've never seen Kate Monique. That's her name, right? I've never seen her not be Shane. So I don't mm-hmm. know if they dressed her to look like Shane or if that's just what she looks like. Cause she's got the Virginia on hair. purpose. Okay, it, it's expressly played. Like she explains it, and it's played very specifically to to that. be a grown up Shane. Really? Oh, okay. It's like her mentoring the next generation to sort of undo what Shane has done. That is part of her character arc. Oh. But then she goes and does some Shane then she shit. She goes so. and then be Shane and break the girl heart. <laughs> Girl, I, that's I was like, come back I don't. I, I did not understand why she thought this was going to go well. I'm like, how did she's your teacher? What Shane did Shane would do? What's going to happen? It's something Shane would do, and it, and the, the the thing that makes it crazy is because in season four, it's something that Bet does. So mm. it's 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 all. I, I'm not gonna I, as an educator. I'm not gonna comment. <laughs> as, as okay, as an educator who I know my vice principal follows this podcast. I'm not going to comment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she ever listens, but I know show. she's a subscriber. So I'm not going to comment. All right. She just gives you the numbers and doesn't listen. She, she, I don't, she probably don't listen, but I don't want this to be the... I said it's like every other episode. I don't want this to be the one she do listen to, child. So, oh, all right. So something else interesting that happened season one. So Alice is going through a thing. She started off with this chick named Gabby DeVoe who comes up over and over again through the course of the show. Gabby DeVoe is a bitch. But she goes through this thing where she starts dating this lesbian identified man named Lisa. Oh my gosh. There were so many of those back in the day because of the stupid show. There's still child is still are them lesbians. I still get me. I'm a lesbian too. No, you're not. Yeah, I just don't talk to men, so I wouldn't know. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what the crazy the crazy thing about Lisa is they took Lisa all the way out because Lisa did did, remember the episode where him and um Alice are about to have sex and Lisa pulls out a strap? And (laughs) I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Alice was like, You have the real thing. He's like, No, but I don't want to use it. This is the way I want to make. Wait, how? What? What do you even? What? How wait, you gonna use it? Wait, wait a minute. Did somebody neuralize my brain to forget this? They have. Wait. It happened. No, it, happened. it happened. It really. Happened. It really happened. Oh man, the MIB visited me because I don't remember. 
And he like had the, the the dick and he was like putting it all on her face and stuff. I'm like, yeah, you are a man though. You putting the dick on her face. That's what a man would do. Oh, oh wait, yes, I do remember this. Oh my god. <laughs> and I was so confused. I'm and like, the way what? he was reacting, like she goes down on him, and it's almost like no one has been down on him. It was like weird. Lesbian identified man named Lisa. So. You don't have to do that. I feel like that's an added step you didn't need. I'm so confused. I don't understand it either. We all were back in the day. (laughs) It still buys into the whole thing that lesbians, all lesbian youths strap on and have sex. Let's talk talk about that part. Ooh. Mm. Mm. Like he went out of his way to point out. I'm a straighty straight and even I know that's not true. Right. Like it's like it was very cliche. There was a lot of cliche shows looking back, but it was good while you're watching it. Well, what's that? Is that the pastor? Say it again. I, I heard a man in the background. I was asking Mackenzie, was that the pastor? Yeah, the that's exactly who that is. I knew it. He sounded like the pastor. Like turn, turn to James chapter five. <laughs> All right. I just wanted to bring up the lesbian man named Lisa because he was just hilarious. I'm sorry, she. I don't know. That to me is just so extra for no reason. It's like shooting back to my brain. I'm like, I am so confused at this point. I think the first time I saw it, I was confused too because I think you know we talk a lot about you know people can identify. You can't tell people how they can identify and blah blah. But bruh, because the whole point we're like. Your identity, other people's identity and experience. Wait, say it again, because you cut out. What was that? It's but at a certain point, sometimes your identity can like mock other people's experiences. It's like people who are other kin and like identify as trees. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um. This, there's a line there. There is. There is <laughs> a line. Line drawn. Exactly. There is a line. All right. Season one. We also got introduced to Bet's problematic black family. I, throughout the course of this show, I'm sorry, that show, not this show, that show, was very, I couldn't figure out, it's hard to really talk about Bet's family because the shit that happened to Bet is real shit. And I don't know if it's just because it was white people writing it. It was like, are you writing this because you think this is how black people are? Or are you, are you, it's hard to once again find Most that definitely. line. Hmm? Most definitely. I think that at that time we were still at a space where we are portraying black people as white writers and the idea of what you think it is to live in a black home or to mm-hmm. grow up black because you have no experience and you have nobody around you giving you the real tea. Right. Hmm. Because you have what? You had Ozzie Davis. Oh, geez. Ozzy Davis as Bet's dad. And every time it was so it was so amazing. I mean, it was another instance of knowing that Eileen Chaykin just know people. And every time that Ozzy Davis and Pam Greer were on screen together, I would just like it was just amazing to me. They were they were those two together were amazing. But Ozzy Davis as the problematic, respectable black dad. And then the son who we didn't see until either the end of season one or season two, who was raised by the dad. They never told us. We just assumed that he was raised by the dad because Kit was a drunk. Um, mm-hmm. But so the son who didn't get along with Kit because she was a drunk. 
and then you then you had the colorism dynamic because they talked about you know the relationship between Bet's dad and Kit's mom versus Bet's mom who's who was clearly white. Um, what was your? We're not gonna go through the whole series just yet. Just in season one, where you just kind of get a glimpse of the problematic black family. What was your your ideas or thoughts on Bet's family? It seems like a like a '90s school special, like watching <laughs> a lot of those, where it was very paint by numbers. Like you knew what was coming next, you knew how reactions were going to happen. It wasn't necessarily a life you lived, but you knew what to expect. And I was like, really, for a show that like has all these weird lesbian plot twists and histories of gay LA, like you're just giving me nothing new. You're supposed to be pushing into brave new frontier, and you're giving me. <laughs> yeah what about what about stephanie and um lucy what were you th- your thoughts on Beth's family i mean i i agree i think again it's it's a situation where let's just go to the family that you know it wasn't anything that was original mm-hmm. it was definitely expected they didn't go outside the box for this scenario Oh, and it hit every little branch in the trope tree. Yeah. Like, um, mm-hmm. like <laughs> let me guess, he's not happy about <laughs> well, and Of the course best part he's is not. Like, uh. <laughs> well, the best part is like every black family I know who has that that one gay in my family, it's me. Uh, okay, wait. Who said I'm gay? We got one that doesn't know he's gay. Mm. But oh. uh, <laughs> it's true. But like Everyone just sort of rolls with it. <laughs> it's like they might not be happy. My mother's virulently unhappy, but like when families are together, we all suck it up and we just talk about other things. You don't get that with our family, but every black person I know, we're like, no, they could hate your partner. They will still call her your little friend. Yeah, exactly. They no. will still invite her over for dinner. No. Little friend coming and, to and that, was, and that was my whole thing with her dad is because I don't know any black people, like you said, who are that vitriol about. You know, anybody, I've never, people are going to say, oh, you can't bring your family. I don't know. I'm one of the people who, when I want, look at the, the memes and talk about when your friend come over to your family's house, there's never one that talk about how they kick them out or they cuss them out or nothing. It's, it's just, you know, laughing at your It's going to make fun of them. Yeah. <laughs> your friend, your friend, little manish. Uh, what you, what your little friend over there doing? My sister likes to tell the story about when she brought her girlfriend to visit the family. And my to this day, my uncle still s- swears he saw the girlfriend touch my sister's butt. And she's like, that did not happen. <laughs> wow. So they went like, it wasn't even just touching it. Like, it seemed like they went to, the, even with the son, like, and they, they had an opportunity to really explore a lot of things. Because the idea of people's um, parents raising their kids is something that is very prevalent in our community. They, but there was nobody to tell or show them how to explore what the hell happened with David. Like, why did he end up with the daddy? And why wouldn't he ever come visit the mom? Like, there was nothing to, there was no depth to the family. It was just kind of this hate that they never explained. Mm-hmm. Just the mm-hmm. assumption that she, she black, so her family must not be down with her life. So... Cause we we gotta be we gotta be homophobic because you know that's Cause, what we do cause apparently because we, we black you know we black right exactly that's right we black so it's like mm-mm, we're gonna bring out all these Bibles we're gonna have three Bibles the one <laughs> with the red for Jesus in it and then the one that got the family name on it and then the one that's the new American standard they all on the table and then we all gonna bring them out when you bring your little we white go all with you. you. <laughs> 
Not the Lutheran Church. Not the Lutheran Church. been to church in 40 years, owns all them Bibles you just listed. Okay, I'm gonna tell y'all something. We not. I'm gonna tell you something. We not about to laugh. You dragged my mama. I'm just dragged. I'm gonna tell y'all something. We not about to laugh because I love my mom. My mom and my mama love to learn new. Like I take my mama to Pride and everything. But I think either this summer or later in the year we are going. There's a Bible museum, and she said that there. <laughs> and she said that the, there is the Bible, the specific version of the Bible that they use to legitimize slavery is in that museum and all kinds of stuff. So we're gonna go to the Bible museum, y'all. I'm One going. in DC. Yeah, I think it is. Is that where it is in DC? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because my friend went to the that. Bible. She told me that. Yeah, because she told me she went. She um, I think her kid's school went to the Bible museum as a field trip. Wow. Oh. Bible museum. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I gotta go. Southern black, right? Like that's black, black. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm a Marylander, so I'm in the South. I know people don't count us, but we are Southern. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm Southern. You're not gonna take us. You're not gonna take me with my Southern line, car. honey. You are not from Southern California. Oh, oh, the children, the children, the children. The L and salmon. You say you say salmon and not salmon. Hey, I say. I say salmon. I say salmon sometimes. All right, I was looking. I was letting y'all kiki because I was trying to find in the show to play it, and I cannot. But the most important, one of the most important non human characters in the L word is the chart. The chart starts in season one and it starts with it starts with the drawing that Alice creates. Um, where she makes all the it's kind of like how I say the six degrees of C dub, the six degrees of, of sex separation between all the lesbians. Um I thought I had marked down that part of the show where I could play it off of the show, but I cannot. But we will come back to it because it does become very important all the way to the end. It is actually in all the graphics. The chart, I mean, the chart is kind of real. If we really mm-hmm. sat down, oh, no. especially those of us, you know, me and Mackenzie that have lived in Southern California, if I really sat down and created mm. a chart, <laughs> I don't want to create the chart. Because I don't want to know. You want to do that to yourself. I don't want to no. know who slipped with you. Because you already know when you look at the Facebook page why I need confirmation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a part of a very specific community that has a chart. Oh, growing chart, and it is what? horrifying. Let me tell you. Wait, you wait, the what? Chart? What? Wait, there's say this again. Now? Chart. I'm part of a community, and there is an existing chart, and it is ever growing, and it spans multiple states at this point. Wow, wow. is mm-hmm. Kentucky on this chart? Is Chicago on this chart? Kentucky like, is on the chart. Why? Chicago's on the chart. I'm scared. Like, wait. It's real messy. Y'all keep talking about the chart because keep talking. Yes, keep talking about the chart. Keep going. Yeah. Um, so like, I got on it by accident. I didn't want to, but it happened. So wait, how do you get on the chart by accident? I I made myself a very ambitious drink and hooked up with someone very publicly. <clears throat> Do you have to hook up publicly to be on the chart? <laughs> known if it hadn't been public. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. All right. So, how many <laughs> names did you recognize on this chart? It's pretty much ninety percent of the people that I talk to on a regular basis, and then like outline people from there. Where I'm just like, oh god, I can never date anyone ever. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's it's uncomfortable. The reason that I made you guys keep talking about the chart 
is because I did actually track down where the characters explain the chart. So just hold on one quick second. Okay, okay. All right, let's do you. Come here. It'll be fun. I haven't even put you on it. All right, this is ridiculous. I've only slept with two girls my whole life. And I swear to God, if you repeat that, I will have to kill you. Mm. Don't worry. Your reputation as this guy is totally safe with me. Okay. Okay. So. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Name names. Okay, there was the counselor at Tempest Camp when I was 15. Right. Which you know about. Mm-hmm. Name. She's famous now. I can't tell you her name. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, Ralph. We'll call it Ralph. Okay. Now. Second name. Melanie. No. You about that. No, he didn't, but I knew. Okay, let's see <laughs> how many people it takes to link you and me. Whatever, that's impossible. Mm. Okay. Melanie slept with Heather. Okay. Heather slept with Brooke. Heather slept with Brooke? Yes. Oh. Brooke slept with Nina, and I slept with Nina. See that? Wow, yeah. So, four. One, two, three. That is how many people it takes to link you to me. Okay, okay, so you and Tina. Oh, well, that's easy. One. Okay. Okay. Ooh, ooh. Okay, what? I have a good one. Here. So that is the explanation of the chart. You guys are able to hear that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, good. Yes. Because sometimes we record, you can't hear. So that is the explanation of the chart. So season one culminates in Tim finds out about Jenny. Tim rages out. They get married. But then, because um, that that's the smartest thing, they get married the same day that he sees uh, Marina giving Jenny head. That's really smart. So they go through like four, five, six, seven, eight episodes with Tim going through his shit, and then Tim finally leaves, and um, Jenny gets a job working at the planet. Shane moves in with Jenny, and they become roommates, and they stay in the house. And Marina, they, they don't tell us at the end of season one. I don't think what happens to Marina. We find out in season two that Marina tried to kill herself. And that's a whole nother thing. So into season two, some important things that happen at the beginning of season two. Season two is the first episode or the first season where we are introduced to the legendary L Word theme song. Um, the L Word theme song is performed by the singing group named Betty. Um, who is a rock group. The band, um, let's see, was formed in, in D.C. In 89, they relocated to NYC. And at that time, they did a song that some of us may know. Mackenzie may be too young, but we will see. I know it's a favorite of mine, and I'm going to play it for you here.
the version of the song that I remember, but it's the version that Betty did. That's not what I thought. Maybe they had a second one. Anyway, they did the theme song to the HBO show Encyclopedia. Yay, whatever. So in 2002, <laughs> the group <laughs> started on its own Broadway off-Broadway show, off show called Betty Rules. Um, and they appeared as regular guest artists throughout the entire run of the L Word after they created the theme song. So the first season, it has some tacky. So Betty goes on to, they do the theme song. And later on, we are going to hear where they perform as a band with Nona Hendrix, which is a favorite episode of mine. Um, they do the Olivia Cruz episode. Pretty much any time that the L Word needed music, they brought in Betty. So this was the first okay. time that we came across that song. Um, so season two, as I said, we find out at the beginning that Marina has tried to kill herself somewhere in there. Now, and you guys may remember, maybe Mackenzie, somebody remember, did Dana hook up with, oh, oh, I missed the whole point of this whole show at the end of season one. Duh. At the end of season one, the L word does the Dinah. L Word Goes to Dinah, season one, episode Which is the 12. best episode. It is one of the best. How did I forget that? The Dinah people are going to kill me because they're having a whole L Word party at the Dinah this year. So at the, Oh, wow. <laughs> so season one, episode 12, they go to the Dinah. And so what's funny about that episode is it starts off with a cold open. And we're going to talk about the all the cold opens of the L Word. It starts off with a cold open of some lesbians making out in front of some guys in the 70s at a mansion. Turns out one of those women was Alice's mom. So they're taking her back to Palm Springs. They kind of drop her off somewhere and they head to the diner. At this time, I think that Tina was with them, but that's when Bet was in, in L.A. still hooking up with the car. I missed it. I left a whole lot of stuff out of season one. Bet messes around with the carpenter that she hires to work for her. And Tina finds it's out sexy overalls. Yeah. Oh, it's it's really hot. They have sex in a no, they have not quite really sex. They have like intrinsic sex in an elevator, which was awesome because they didn't actually touch you. No, that wasn't elevator. It was in the jail. On the way to Dinah. You said what? Didn't they tell their coming out stories on the way to Dinah or something like that? Yes, they tell they their tell coming out stories, yes. And specifically bad. Uh, no, not that Tina at Alice's behest tells uh, her and origin story, which is now my favorite question to ask couples that have been together. What's your origin story? <laughs> well, it's, and it's so funny it, because it's, it's, it's a moment. It's a moment. <laughs> well, remember that they, she, she made her tell the story because Bet is the first woman that Tina was ever with. So their origin story is also Tina's coming out story. So yeah, yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't oh. it wasn't Alice that told her to tell it. It was Shane because Shane was like, "Give these girls some hope because you know they all had stories about sleeping with these girls who turned out to be fundamentally straight." And Shane, Alice are the same person. Yeah, we're, they kind of <laughs> they kind of are. The show used them interchangeably, but the show was awesome. That episode was awesome because also that's where Dana. A couple things happened in that episode. Um, this is where we are seriously introduced to Dana's life as a celesbian. Um, I hate that word. I know. Pro- earlier in season, earlier in season one, God, I left out of that stuff. It's just covering topics. Earlier in season one, um, Dana had a relationship with Laura, 
who was a chef at um who, who was a chef I think in the tennis club where she where she played at yes. um oh God, and yes. she ended up breaking up with her because she couldn't be public so but at some point she well her agent doesn't initially want her to be an out athlete but people start to slowly learn that she you know she's a lesbian she gets invited to the diner um and that's where she meets what's the name of Tanya that's where she meets Tanya the crazy agent chick who was before star jones ever had a a televised corporate sponsored <laughs> wedding tanya was planning the first corporate sponsored celesbian wedding and dana's celesbian shit status goes on for the next few seasons because it's how they get places they go to the diner and in season two they go to on the olivia cruise so they do a lot of writing on Dana's so lesbian. I'm gonna keep saying that because Mackenzie hates it. So lesbian <laughs> coattails. It's a terrible phrase. Oh my god! <laughs> but another I get my revenge. Another thing, interesting thing about them doing the Dinah, um, because it is you can tell, of course, that they actually went to the Dinah and filmed it. That is definitely the Dinah, honey. Mm-hmm. Especially if you wanted people that's lucky enough to get a room off of the pool. Yes. Yes, I don't want that life. Oh, it it was a nice life. I told you there was a there was a we had to find these pictures of me before they ended up. This was when Instagram was doing Titty Tuesday. He's like, he's like, we got to find this picture before Carolyn ends up on Titty Tuesday. And this is before my breast reduction. So, yeah. Um. So yeah, and the interesting thing about that is because later on when we do the Noah's Ark retrospective, Noah's Ark does a similar thing with, um black beach party and so it's it really is a trend of of showing these different things that other people don't know about the community like i said dinah is like the lesbian freaknik well black beach party was the first black pride black gay beach party in la was the first black pride so it's kind of like these shows giving us a glimpse into the parts of the community that other people didn't know so that's the dinah episode was there anything else that that was particular that people remember from the dinah episode that they wanted to share for the dinah people get me just like the straight up white party aspect was just really yes. well crafted. Yes. Like so well crafted. Cause was she high or was Jenny high or drunk? Like downed a couple of drinks in one go. Yeah, so it was Jenny, and she's tiny. Jenny downs a couple of drinks and then she tells her coming out story because she she wants she's finally emboldened to tell her coming out story about her and Marina. And then they they basically posse <laughs> encourage her or gas her up to call marina right there in the middle of the white party yeah it was a mess drunk times at the diner it's pretty awesome all right so back diving back into season two so um dana is now in a relationship with tanya um uh bet and tina have broken up because tina oh wait did that happen in did tina find out in season yeah she found out at the end of season one after she found out and turns over the table. So Tina finds out about Bet, and then so they're split up. Kit and Ivan. Let's talk about Kit and Ivan. Um, Kit and Ivan. not played by Ving Rames. I keep forgetting that. Well, no, because Ivan was white. <laughs> <laughs> Kit and Ivan, to me, was our first glimpse into what be, would become a trend of transphobia in the L word. So Ivan is a a character. Uh, Ivan, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys. Ivan was a drag performer, 
was it wasn't mm-hmm. Ivan that a drag king? Okay. So Ivan yes. was a drag king that kids started hanging around with a lot. And when Marina, quote unquote, got sick and had the opportunity to sell the planet, Kit was, if uh, for those who are listening, we forgot to say what the planet is. The planet is every show has a stationary place. The planet is their stationary place. They're always at the planet. It's the local coffee shop there in West Hollywood, owned by Marina, and now about to get bought by Kit. In order for it to be bought from from Marina, Kit had to come up with a certain amount of money. Um, and Bet did not have it, even though Bet has a house full of expensive artwork. She did not have it, so Kit asked Ivan to give her the money. Prior to that, they were basically dating. You know, we're calling we're gonna call it straight girl dating. That's what we're about to call it. <laughs> Straight, we're dating without the fun bits. Straight, straight girl dating. When you hanging around, y'all going to dinner, y'all doing what y'all do, y'all talking all the time. You see her, you see the other one. Straight girl dating. Um, that sounds all, about right. All the way up. I'm the straight girl. I'll tell you. Uh oh. <laughs> Don't do that, Stephanie. Okay, you're gonna break some lesbians' heart. Okay. Uh. Oh no, Stephanie already <laughs> broke some lesbians' heart. So anyway, so, so they're straight girl dating until the day that Kit comes to Ivan's house because Ivan is so into her that Ivan has given her a key to his place. She comes into the place and she walks in on Ivan. And I want to say this in the most appropriate way. So y'all tell me if I'm saying it inappropriate. Um, Ivan is getting dressed. I mean, he's putting on his binder and he doesn't have on his hair. Basically, he's not. Mackenzie, help me out with this. He's not in drag I mean, yet? Yeah, I mean, I've yeah, he's just not in drag. Okay, and Ivan was not okay with her seeing him not in drag, and that's when he Ivan goes off into right, exile. Because Ivan wanted Kit to see him as a man yes. and not in the woman form because he understood that Kit was straight. And that's where it, it starts to get really muddy. That is exactly where it starts to get muddy for me. You see, I couldn't even explain it. It starts to get muddy with when with a lot of things in regards to gender right there at that moment. Um, because the assumption that oh gosh, it is true. He did. He wanted Kit to see him as a man. Yes, it is very true. It just really seemed really off with Ivan, and it seemed like a trend that goes on all the way down to poor Max towards the end. And I, do you guys feel the same way? Yes, that Max storyline was a cluster. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's terrible! It's absolutely <laughs> it's, terrible. And it all started. We're gonna as the seasons go on. We, I I picked out some points where it was particularly transphobic, and we're gonna discuss them in turn. So that's the that's the situation with Kid and Ivan. Um, also in this season, this is where. So we talked about at the end of season one where Tim left and left Jenny with the house, and Jenny and Shane moved in together. But of course, they couldn't afford this house; they needed a third roommate. So they go off looking for a roommate, and they end up with this guy named Mark, who is supposedly a videographer, who they don't know. Because has, again, this is a good idea, right? <laughs> Mark is a videographer who has a. I mean, even if you, even if Mark was a nice enough guy, okay, but his friend, you couldn't look at his friend. The friend was the most disgusting, creepy ass. Yes. So Mark decides to put up cameras in the house because they're going to secretly videotape the lesbians to sell to their video production crew. And 
I'm so gonna, I'm gonna right. save. There's I'm gonna sexual say, predators. Right. I'm gonna save the clip, There's and I want us to discuss the sexual predator and and Mark and this whole because also with Mark putting up these cameras to videotape him, he just he starts having a fetish or a crush on Shane. I still to this day don't really understand Mark's crush on Shane. Do you? Does anybody in the room understand or can explain? Because I don't understand. I oh, I do. That's so why Angelina Jolie, Megan Fox effect. Uh, every. <laughs> Okay. Thing. So every man thinks that he wants a super tough, super strong woman who knows exactly what she wants, who could take him on equally, the alpha male and the alpha female. That's what Shane represents for that specific type of man. Same way Angelina Jolie in Tomb like Raider does for a lot like, of men. Is it kind of like how some dudes are like really, really into Young and A? Yes. Oh God! And you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this because now that you guys have explained it like that, like I have several man crushes. And and by man crush, I mean them having a crush on me. And we always try to figure out why they have these crushes on me. We determine a lot of it is them not understanding. They they can understand two femmes together. But when you throw in the masculine presenting, they're trying to figure out what it is about you that makes it different than them to where the woman would want you. Because to them, okay, she's trying to be a man. Well, I'm a man. I think number one is that. Number two is the whole idea of, you know, trying to get between the two women. It's a lot of stuff, in my opinion. But you guys go on. Yeah, and, like, men aren't socialized to to think that they should be attracted to things that aren't physically visible. So the idea that you can be attracted to someone's these, despite what, despite, this is a terrible word, what they look like, is really foreign to most men. So, like, when they're attracted to someone like Young M.A., which I, whatever, they don't understand why, because they're like, I'm attracted to this swagger, this, like, kindness this whatever but all they can see is the things they're supposed to be attracted to mm-hmm. i mean i have one uh, older man who says inappropriate it. stuff to me all the time about sex and i'm like sir sir what and it's always the well, not always older men but somebody was about to say something who was that oh it was me i was gonna say because i don't even know what rapper it was because i don't know the hippity hops but like oh all these different like these like Photoshop pictures of him and Young and May having babies, and I'm like, did I miss something? I'm like, wait, I don't. Uh, she I missed that. Ladies, oh so I don't. I'm looking know. this up now, y'all. Wait, who was that? Who was the? Who was this? Uh, I don't out? know. Like he was like, man, this could be us. I'm like, um, I feel like something is really missing here. <laughs> I, at the end I of the day, that. a man doesn't care if you're lesbian or not. All they see is vagina and. Bo- True and as as or also a challenge. It's like, oh, I can get her. I can turn her. That's not how any of this works. As androgynous as Shane was, she was still very soft. You know what I'm saying? That's true. That's me. That's me, y'all. That's me. I get that all the time. That's me, y'all. A part of what like attracts women to like that kind of androgyny is like it takes you back to when like your male crushes were dudes in boy bands who were non-threatening. They weren't going to hit you. They weren't going to rape you. They weren't going to do any of that. They were just this safe, good-looking thing to be attracted to, which is why so many women are attracted to that very specific kind of, like, Peter Pan androgyny and why they're attracted to so many trans men. It's very simply a psychological thing. Wow. That's me, y'all. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. That's, that's And that's why all the straight girls like me. Oh, it's a thing. I'm telling I got to start being more of an asshole. 
We're still wanting boo. It's okay. Hello. Straight women date assholes. So that's actually going to make it worse. All the time. It's true. That part is true, too. That is actually me. I'm a jerk. Oh, my God. I can't win. So, okay. So... We have Creepy Mark. Creepy Mark has put up all these video cameras in the house. And then at some point, at some point, while, she, while um, what is her name? I can't even think of people's names. Shane and Carmen, who are now together. Um, no, they're not together yet. Shane and Carmen are not together yet. Um, no. uh, at this point, Carmen and Jenny are still together. And so at some remember I don't when, understand that one. Remember when Carmen and Jenny were together? They were together when they go to the we haven't got to it yet, but when they go on the Olivia cruise, um, Shane and Carmen are together. So Yeah, because don't you remember Carmen makes that whole big stupid speech in the kitchen to Shane about how she's with Jenny because she's easy and like simple or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huge. That's the only reason I remember because I'm like, oh, she has actual emotional depth. Who knew? Who, Carmen? Moment of like, hey, you have some emotional depth. Oh my goodness. There you go. And that was it. I am looking for Arasahi not being vaguely Latina. Oh my okay, god! Can we just discuss the fact that everyone is so excited that she is about to be in a re- reboot? And I'm like, y'all, she was actually one of the most transphobic members of this fucking show. I actually hate Carmen. Carmen. Oh. oh. She was actually, yeah, the way that she, when we get into season three, the a lot of the oh, way and her she treated Max. Family is also, a, a, she does not deserve her family. Um, <laughs> was she the one that went down on, on Kent? Was that her? Was it no, Carmen? that's Poppy. That was the other problematic no, Latina. Poppy. Oh, right. Who's right, also right. our other problematic, not the, Latina, Latina. <laughs> right, the other uh, problematic okay. Latina. Wait, I'm looking for, I'm going to do better with this. Finish telling me you guys' thoughts on Carmen while I do what I'm doing over here. I don't know. Carmen was a very annoying. Like, I didn't really care for her role in the show. Wait, say it again because you cut out. You said she was annoying. What? I didn't care for her role and her presence in the show. I didn't feel like it really added much of anything. It was just like a a way to try to soften up Shane. Yeah. The disingenuous. Like they did it much better with who is the white girl where they were raising those two kids together? Paige? That's Paige, yes. That's the one that came after Carmen. Yeah. So like that was like an organic softening changing this was a very forced like this spicy latina with all these feelings is gonna force it's like movies with straight people it didn't work then we don't want to see it now so why i will say though please tell me why people love her so much she was fun and she's the one who like changed shane and then got her heart broken it's like every girl who's ever gotten her heart broken by a shane or dude goes See, I was good and I worked hard and I changed them in the end. They still didn't want me. So everyone likes it. She's the Mary Sue. Oh my gosh, I've been Shane like that too. Oh God. Jeez. Okay. Jeez. Also though, but they're sexing the too hot one. That that was some some good writing. The the sexing <laughs> with who? Shane and Carmen. Too hot one where they can't touch each other. 
that's 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 a thing that they have on a, uh, through the whole show. Like I said, that that scene with um Bet and the carpenter in jail where they had sex through the wall. Jeez, it was just so my god. <laughs> it was it was the most amazing. Just clearly, I have rewatched that one a couple times. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not gonna oh. find the episode that I'm looking for. So I, I what episode are you looking for? Well, no, I I marked it down, but I didn't put the actual episode. I think um, what it was is I was gonna show where when Jenny found out that Mark had put the cameras in the in the room. Um, basically, she found the cameras and she kind of goes off on a tangent while he sleep with his girlfriend in the bed, and so he comes to the house. Or comes because he lives out in the shed or whatever. He comes to the house and she's standing there with the like writing on it says, "Is this what you want to see?" And that was season two, episode eleven. Is that what it is? Okay, good. Yeah, because that was a very important point, and that was actually where a lot of things changed for the show. Because that's where Jenny's emotional break comes. Um, and my big question, I put this on Facebook a little bit ago. So, like I said, this is when Jenny has an emotional break and she kind of spirals for the rest of the series. Um, but Kit has a similar emotional break when Angus cheats on her in season four. But she, Kit is never through the entire... Kit is, of course, an alcoholic. She never gets the kind of grace that Jenny got. People saw Jenny... Of course, when, she's, when she cuts herself, we do have compassion and everything for her. But she just becomes a total crazy lunatic doing crazy lunatic shit. And Kit never got that kind of grace from people. Besides the fact that Jenny is white and Kit is black, what was the reason for that? Or how did you feel about that? Or was it just, hey, white, and go on? Well, it's also that Kit has a history. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of different. This is your first experience with someone spinning out of control versus I have a history of seeing Kit spin out of control. And it's just like, I thought you got your ish together. I'm kind of tired of it. You know what I'm saying? So is it basically because they had never seen Jenny spin like that? I mean, that's the perspective of it. Like, it's like when you grew up with an alcoholic and they're clean and then they relapse, you're like, we're back in this place again. They don't have anything to kind of compare her crazy to. Mm. It's also an age thing. You sort of expect the older sister who runs the business, who is Pam Greer, whether we want to admit that we all see it as Pam Greer or not. Who's supposed to have her <laughs> life together versus this like child <laughs> dropped in the middle of all these worldly lesbians? Like, and, and she was talking so bad for one of them and not the other. But I don't know if they ever get specific. If they ever get specific about what? I don't, her, her age. I don't think they do. She was like late 20s, early 30s. Because they do definitely treat her very much as a little kid. Even the way she was dressed for a season, she was just like a little girl. All right. So here is the scene. And I I really want to play. 22. She was 22. There you go. 22? The beginning of the series, 22. That that adds a whole other layer to things. Now I feel slightly grossed out by the Marina thing. Right, because Marina was yeah, clearly yeah. old. That's, that's well, a little girl. Like, well, let's be real. You know that in the lesbian gay scene, cougarism is real and live. So I don't really. But know it's not I would like to take this opportunity 
to assert how much I love cougars and I have marked all the instances <laughs> of cougar love and the L word because anyone that knows me personally knows that I love cougars. Even though my car- heart is currently broken by a cougar, I will still <laughs> and always and forever love cougars. I just need to do better and job. follows you on Facebook knows that. It's like, y'all are not going to, uh, you know what? We're going to the clip because y'all not going to mistreat me. There's a difference between like, the difference between you being in like your 40s and a 20 something when Marina was probably in her 40s. Like that's a p- parental age gap and like a power over situation that like I'm uncomfortable with. <laughs> that that okay. does make sense and it, and it gives it a whole nother spin on the fact that Marina is the one that ultimately ended up with her heart broken trying to um, kill herself and also that we find out that Marina is married that everybody thought that this man was her father and it was actually her husband and he was older than her too that's what I'm saying like this whole show is cool it's like that's the lifestyle everybody gets to be with somebody 12 times oh my goodness so let's listen to this is the clip where Jenny um, stands up to Mark, the creepy neighbor. You have to speak to me again. I'm going to pack my shit. I said no. You're not going to talk to Carmen. And you're not going to talk to Shane. You're not going to wreck their vacation and fuck with their lives anymore. I'm going to decide when you can take those rapey cameras down. So that becomes a very big very big plot point like a very serious plot point of the series itself because Jenny a lot of her personal demeanor changed right there at that exact moment she's I'm going to decide just hearing the wavering in her voice and it makes you it makes it hard because in the end you're gonna hate the fuck out of Jenny (laughs) but you understand you know what she was going through in that moment and we learn later on the way that she had been victimized as a child so, all right, finally found that. We already got went through Dana Fairbanks and her life as a lesbian, also in season two. And I, I wasn't able to find out if this was on purpose or how this happened. Maybe he was already sick, but um, Bette's father, played by Ozzie Davis, dies. They were able to actually film his death before he dies, but it doesn't. it didn't run until after he died. I don't know how that, just the universe, I guess. Um, but Bette's father dies, he had a long illness and he comes to town. Bed is not able to let him go because she's a control freak. So she moves him into the house um, and her and Kit attempt to take care of him. At this point, Kit is able to reconcile. Well, actually, Kit reconciled her relationship with her father earlier in the season when she was sleeping with a married man, but he was black. So the daddy didn't care. <laughs> and let's see. Are you guys still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Well, I just wanted to make sure because, you know, sometimes well, listen. To look, technology. Anyway, so Beth's father dies. Um, What did I, I mark this as, this is so me, the whiteness of black TV deaths. Look, I was angry because I know that Beth's daddy was a respectable Negro, but, <laughs> but them having his funeral <laughs> at the planet with this fake black uh choir why they you you didn't even let us hear they might have been singing some black shit we don't know because y'all put sweet honey in the rock over him and all these pictures of him and Gloria Steinem and shit I just I know he was supposed to be respectable but is is anybody that respectable where they funeral is that white discuss <laughs> it just it just 
if you listen back to when we did the episode of, of about um about family matters, I have a very serious thing about putting black church on television because so many times when they put black church on television, and I count funerals as black church, when they put black church on television, depend on who's running the show, it's real quiet and nice and demure and respectable. And but if it's somebody black, you know it's gonna be like a black funeral. So that's why I right. say this is important that we need to discuss because there are so many, so many intricacies to the relationship between Bet and her dad, and also even her relationship with with Kit that involve colorism and respectability. So to me, this whole idea of this sweet honey in the rock funeral at the planet went went hand in hand in that. So now that I've explained that, how do you guys or what do you guys think about that? I think it was a load of boo boo. <laughs> honestly. Exactly. Like, even as a respectable individual, there's no way you're having it at the planet. Right. You, you going to find a church. Right. A church, a funeral home, or something where it's not at the planet. Let's start there. Um, and then it is. it goes back to the idea of what your idea of respectable is for a Black person trying to stand up to the, the respectfulness of a white, what white people's society expects from us. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Because that's not how, even as a respectable black person, if I was to die today and I am so the least ratchetest person in my whole family, my funeral is still going to have a bomb choir and they're going to be rocking and it's going to be some stuff going down no matter what. Yeah. I mean, the whole Gloria Steinem round table at the funeral. Okay. That's going to happen. So, <laughs> so that was the, the um, Bet's Father Die segment. Um, back to Dana and her celesbian life. Dana goes, takes the girls on an Olivia cruise. And this is a, a one of the, well, I mean, the whole series talks about sexuality and such. Um, but it was highlighted by a person on there. And I don't know if this person was real or not, because usually these people are real when they have them on the show. I don't know if Phoebe Sparkles was real, but a lot of the a lot of that episode was actually about breaking outside of um, sexual boxes and stuff. Um, but this is also the cruise where Dana's fiance Tanya leaves her for Melissa Rivers. That was just one of the creepiest cameos I've ever seen on any show. Um, I don't even remember it being Melissa Rivers. It was Melissa Rivers. <laughs> It was definitely maybe I was so bad I blocked it out. It, it was it was probably that bad because I mean you have people who play who play gay all the time, but hers was just so fake. It was terrible. It was like y'all could have just gave some old regular ass actress this to do. Like it was terrible. Um, one thing that I want to ask, and probably only me and Mac would be able to speak to this, is that the planet as or versus the Abbey. As we mentioned, the planet is the home base of the show. Um, it is a coffee shop that uh, at night is a nightclub owned by Kit. Um, in some ways, it's not necessarily supposed to be the Abbey, but the way that it is centered as far as the center of lesbian life in West Hollywood, even though the Abbey itself is not lesbian at all, it's, it's the boy bar, um, it still was kind of posited as the Abbey of the show. I don't think there's not really much that we can say about that, but I did want to mention that that's basically what the planet was. The planet was, was basically like a lesbian version of the, of the Abbey and there's no such thing in West Hollywood. So then well, there's What that. I think it was, was, you know, a lot of the show sanitized 
culture as it applies to lesbian culture. So like on Queerest Folk, they bought the rockiness most drugged out nightclub. Here, it's a nice coffee shop where the two parents can come and the journalist can come and the tennis player can come and it's all safe and fine and no one will out them. Whereas like the real Abby is do coke in broad daylight there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Abby. I had, my first, I, had my first, I had my first relationship fight in front of the Abby. Good time. I hope we all. <laughs> but like, but like, if you know LA too, you know, now we have a cha- uh, chapel, which is like the girls night at the Abbey. But when I was coming up right around when this show was going, we also had something called PYT, People You Trust Productions. I had a $20, it was called the 20 buck holy fuck open bar. You could drink from nine to two for 20 bucks. Central location that we all went to. <laughs> Right. They just came up with some bullshit. Right. I mean, they had, we we had truck stop that was right next to the Oh, Abbey. truck stop. Like, there were places, but but kind of like what you said, there was nothing safe and cute and wholesome. Yeah, there was nothing. I, I mean, still want to be a truck stop girl. I, I still want to go to truck stop. I don't, what do you even do in, in the West Hollywood during the day? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you can There's still go to the Abbey. now. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right, so then there was that. Um, in season two, they started the Sarah Schuster Cold Opens. Now, through the entire run of the show, the Cold Opens on the L Word were amazing. I mean, they had some that weren't that great, but you don't see a lot of shows that put that much effort into their Cold Opens. In season two, the really creepy Sarah Schuster Cold Opens begins. Um I think the first one was the one where they have her on the stage naked and a strip club in the middle of West Hollywood. All of them kind of narrated Jenny's slow descent into her mental state. Um, And so the cold opens become very important. And even going on into season three, four, five, and six, they do actually narrate exactly where we are. Even even if there's something retro, it has something definitely to do with the um, narrative arc of the show. Um... And at the end of season two was when Jenny attempted suicide. She attempted suicide by form of cutting. Um, And she's found by Shane. And we find out later in season three that she does end up going to spend some time um, in a mental facility. Did you guys have any other thoughts on season two before we move on to season three? No. No, we covered it all. Season two was, you know, season one and two of the L word were very fun. And we're about to get into season three that still had some fun, but it stopped being as fun. Like Dana and Alice were fun. Like they had, once they got together, yes, listeners, they get together. They do a lot of role play, which is fun. You know, they go on Olivia Cruise and they play out, you know, the captain from the love boat. They do a lot of fun stuff. Season three is when the L word starts to get a bit heavy. But at the same time, to me, and I don't know if it's just because that's where I came into the show, season three is where it the, we see the L word at its height. Um, I think that it was at the height of its power at season three. And my favorite cold open actually happens in season three as well. Um, and that is the cold open with the two nuns on the bus um, giving each other hand jobs. Good, good, good. <laughs> Good times, you know. Good times. My kind of carrying on. Stephanie, I'm just learning so much about you today, and I don't know if I can if I can handle it all. I'm gonna have to crush. <laughs> 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 
Um, pray. But, let us pray. Now, the, the call opens. What, pray season. about what? What I do now? You didn't do nothing yet. Oh, well, good. <laughs> I haven't seen my wine yet, so that's good. Now, the cold open in season in season three, as I said, they started they started really working with the cold open in season two, but in season three is when all the cold opens have to do with the chart itself. Um, and at the end of season three, you see where that is going. But I wanted to play for you one of the cold opens from season the very first cold open. So this one was actually some women in the 70s. This is, you know, the Our Body Ourselves generation. And they're at the at a house together learning about each other's body. It's like a dirty version of fried green tomatoes. Um, but I don't want to see Kathy, Kathy Bates touching her stuff. But here, <laughs> here's, <laughs> here's a clip. And sexually fulfilled. I should. But did you know that you can be sexually fulfilled? I should go. Chet's expecting me, so. I have a three year old, he sometimes waits. And it tears. And what's gonna happen if you turn up a little late? Hmm? Is the world gonna stop turning? because they all ended up in raunchy sex i'm not sure but that's a possibility (laughs) (laughs) so but i want to go back to my point about the show being at its height of course and we're going to get into the plot points this is the season of course where dana um, finds that she has breast cancer so knowing that do you think that season three was the l word at its height we talked about five and six were bad four was shaky so was will we consider three to be at the height of its power I definitely do. I think yeah. after three, it did go downhill from. Yeah, it went down pretty fast too. But three also broke my heart with Dana. Like that, that, that. Yeah. I know. Well, that you know, year. one thing I learned when I was in school, you know, in MFA, is that if you really want to grab your audience, kill a character, and they sure as hell did that because I don't think anybody. I think even the way that Dana changed. So, yes, people who are in the listening audience, we find out in the beginning of the season. Um, so, first, Alice has, I mean, Dana has left Alice. Um, and we this is the start of Alice's own slow descent. You know, lesbians, we got some mental problems where we need to, you know, talk about. Because <laughs> um, Alice goes into a slow mental descent. She's now working at KCRW. For those of you who have not lived in L.A., KCRW is the local NPR station and just general indie music, all the things. And so Dana has left her to go back to Laura, who she meets up with when Laura becomes a chef at the Planet. Um, And now that Laura knows that Dana is out, they're able to be together. But once they get together, they find out that Dana has breast cancer. So back to you guys' feelings. What were your guys' feelings about Dana's breast cancer arc and how it made you feel to know that she was suddenly going to go like that? I was emotionally attached to the whole storyline. Like, I was, like, in tears. 
he lost Dana. Like that was my home in my mind. She was one of my favorite characters. I always did like her, even though she left Alice. But still, I still liked her. It was like that weird tightrope she had to walk because she was an athlete and she wasn't out, out. And then she came out, out. And then she got houseless. And it was like, oh, this fucking sucks. Right. She just came out. Like, you just live with your life. Come on. <laughs> we could have had, like, all these TMZ stories. And here you go. And sometimes when I think about um, when I think about Dana, you know, coming out, we have to remember the the time of the L word. We're talking about roughly 2000 and oh, I'd have to look it up again on Wikipedia when it started. But roughly around 2008, 2004, 2004 yeah, around about this time is what, 2000, we're in season three. So it's 2007, 2000, yeah, 2006. So we have to, it's always hard keeping in context, like unless I'm watching it and watching them on like their flip phones. I always forget the, the, <laughs> the, the time that they're in. <laughs> they're razors. Right. I'm like, the, like the episodes where they would be like spreading gossip and you're looking at their text messages like, this is some shit right here. Okay. It's like, it takes um, too much work. Right. It's like Kelly Rowland. It's like Kelly Rowland using Excel to text on a sidekick. <laughs> yes. Exactly that. Yeah, like, oh, well. <laughs> All right. So we're in season one. Um, at this point, Tina leaves. Oh, my goodness. I keep leaving our stuff at the end of seasons. At the end of season two, that is when when Tina starts messing around with the man. Well, she didn't meet him on the internet. She starts having cyber sex with some man on the internet, and Bet finds out. Bet gives her the, the reluctant. He's not really even a go-ahead, but the go-ahead to explore her feelings. And she meets this man in a play group with Angelica. God, I left a whole bunch of stuff. I left Angelica's birth out. Angelica is there. <laughs> Angelica is there. I always forget about Angelica. I always forget about poor Angelica too. Um, but in season two, Parents they found half the time too. Yeah, right? How did they party so much? So in season two, they found an African American artist that they that they had to be their sperm donor because they wanted to make sure that if Tina was the birth mother, that there was going to be an African American donor so that the the child was African American like Bet. Um, and they end up having a baby. That's when they have the falling out with the father who does not want to acknowledge that Bet has a baby, blah, blah, blah. But then they start going through lesbian bed death. And Tina starts <laughs> hooking up with this man from Angelica's playgroup. Um, and so by season three, um, Tina has left Bet for Henry, the man. And she they're not quite living together yet, but they're on their way. And yeah, it becomes pretty awkward in the beginning because the friends kind of shun her at first, like, oh, you're not a lesbian anymore. And she's like trying to fight for her sexuality. Um, did you how did you guys feel about the way that Trina's Trina, Tina's sexuality was treated as far as her going back and forth with dating men? So this isn't this only this is not gonna be the last time. It's not gonna be the last time. I mean, but is the is the reality of it? If you honestly like, like you said, um, that was the first woman that Tina was ever with. So the odds of that being the own, you know what I'm saying? Her going not going back to men is like real slim. So that's how it is now. And treat bisexual or women who flip flop, they give them all types of the business. Oh, like okay, literally, not even a person, a human I'm actually dating or knows I exist that I like just talk about. He's attractive. I get shit from my lesbian friends on a regular basis. I'm like, mm-hmm. 
It's wow, the man really? who know I exist. Most like, <laughs> Biphobia is real. Um, I was talking to Frenchie Davis on Facebook the other day, and I was telling her how she helped me to get over, you know, my own biphobia. Because a lot of times when you are fucking around with straight women, you know, you end up with trauma that you end up taking out on women who have already figured out their sexuality. They know that they are bisexual. Just because you've been over there fucking around with straight girls who fucked your mind up, which I have. (laughs) (laughs) So... Yeah, they gave they gave Tina all the business. Um so we go through so so Bet let's see, Tina leaves Bet for Henry. Also, we already talked about how Dana left Alice for Laura and how Alice goes into this slow um descent. She's on medication, she's on the show on KCRW ranting about Dana all the time. She damn near loses it. No, not damn near, she does eventually lose her job. But I wanted to when we talk about lesbians. And we talk. I'm not gonna put it just on lesbians, but okay. Getting emotional and shit during breakups and stuff. Um, look, li- just listen to Alice chase down Dana. part to the end because she's how you gonna stalk somebody and then call them and ask them which way they're going that is the definition of insanity (laughs) hold on hold on i'm about to lose her wait wait what and and helena helena ain't picked up on this girl is chasing this child down the street girl nothing unfazed girl (laughs) so on top of that um alice also has created a shrine to dana in her house 
So Dana, uh, Alice has like a whole. Including the cardboard cutout. Yeah, Dana has, she has a whole thing with all these pictures of her and Dana and then a big life-size cutout. Now, I don't know if I should be saying this in the era of leaving Neverland, but listen, my mama used to work at Walden Books. And when Michael Jackson's autobiography came out, (laughs) she brought home his life-size cutout. And it stood at the house for a long time until it used to scare me when I wake up in the middle of the night to see him standing there. This girl had <laughs> this girl had a a shrine. So she starts dating this vampire who releases her from her mortal coils, otherwise known as having good sex. And the vampire tells her she, when she now she re- is released because people have seen it. They come to the house, they see the shrine, and they just like, "What is this?" And nobody does nothing except for old Carmen who Carmen get on my fucking nerves. So. Oh. Finally, the vampire, no, she actually has sex with the vampire. She's convinced to get rid of the cutout. But then the vampire was like, no, 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 no. You can't just throw it out. You've given it mojo. Voodoo, y'all. Voodoo. He's like, you can't just throw it out. You've given it mojo. Oh, my God. You have to go find it. So now she's out looking for it, and she doesn't find it. But we see it at the landmill getting covered by shit. And that kind of goes into Dana with the cancer. All right, so also in season three, Jenny meets Mara, who later becomes Max. So Jenny goes home to her hometown in Skokie. No, Max is from Skokie. I forgot where Jenny is from. No, Jack is from what? Doesn't matter. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so she goes home to stay with her family, but her family is some homophobes. She meets up with Mara in a bar. They catch her in the bed with a man, but it, the man is Mara, and they kick her out, and they go on this road trip. Um, and that's when she brings Myra home, and that that's what we start. That's the first time we start to really see class divisions amongst the characters. Is when Myra shows up in West Hollywood. Also, I'm not, I wish I had queued this up, but I didn't, so too bad. When they first get there, and they're gonna unload the truck, and Myra tells um, Jenny, "Don't do that. Let us butchers do it." And Shane is just like, "What?" Died. <laughs> I died when when he said that. I was like, "I'm sorry, what?" Shane is like, what? Like, did feminism miss all of the writers? It it did. Like, it absolutely bet did. would have cut a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really, really did. They, yeah, they fucked that one all, all the way up. Wait, hold on. They messed that one all the way up. And then it was, it was a uh, fucking Carmen. Fucking Carmen. Yeah, go on and, and help you, big butch. Shut up, Carmen. I hate oh. you. Shut up, Carmen. Um, I hate you. Well, speaking Jesus of Carmen and Shane, how about how Carmen family was trying to make Shane be a like girl? Yes. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about so, the, another just, problematic um, family of color. But, like, here's the thing, though. Mm-hmm. It's so inaccurate. Because everyone who has, like, a vaguely butch Latina friend, like a dude, can wear baggy dickies and vans and a baggy hoodie, and as long as she keeps that fucking ponytail, no one's gonna say boo. So we all call bullshit on that. So once again, the <laughs> writers are making what they think people it's, or families of color are like. Exactly. <clears throat> that bothers me so much. Yes, I have dated Spanish women, and that is totally the case. Please just don't cut your hair. But you can dress how you want. You know what I'm mean? <laughs> And you know what else? What's also hard, especially when it comes to Carmen, and then later on Poppy, like 
they show things that are very cultural and very important, but it's like we said earlier with, with Bet's family. It's like, yes, it's cultural important, but are you showing it the right way, white people? Or like, why does it feel so iffy and shaky and wrong? And yeah, that's how I felt about because it. They're putting, their, they're putting their spin on it. It's like, okay, this is what it should look like, but let's spin it where it's more like mass appeal. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's what happens. Yes, we take she. They take Shane. What were they going to? They weren't going to a Kinsinger. I think they were talking. No, they did go to a Kinsinger, didn't they? That's when they were dressed. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. And like then, they actively made her look worse by picking a dress that, like, no self-respecting abuelita would pick. <laughs> 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 As someone who's been to a lot of quinces, no one would pick that dress. Not at all. <laughs> and then later on, they go back to the... So Shane develops a relationship with the family because Shane's never had a family. In season one, we do learn that Shane is was a... I don't think... Shane wasn't a runaway. She just didn't. Her family was just kind of fucked up. And she grew up in foster homes and in shelters. So she's never had a family before, especially because, you know... Families of color are so tight-knit. She's never had a family like that. Thank you, Latino people, for showing me what a family is. So <laughs> so they go to the family again, and then Carmen ends up outing them to the to the mom, and Shane is mad because she doesn't want to not be in favor with this nice Latino mom. She's never had a mom. She needs a mom. It's all awkward and weird. Um, yes. but, but that's what happens. Um, so Jenny comes back with Myra. Um, some other things that happened with Carmen and Myra that there was a lot of things that happened that just irritated me about the way Carmen just did not treat Myra very nice. And all of it centered on her butchness. All of it centered. If you look back on the episodes, you know, there's the first night home when they all go to dinner and they're going to this really fancy restaurant that Myra does not really, you know, she's never been around anything like this. Um, and it was Carmen who makes all the joke, the class jokes. It's Carmen who makes all the jokes at Max's expense. Um, and then there are, every time that there was something that was going on with Max and Jenny, whether it was not cleaning up the house, um, just anything Carmen always seemed to focus on Myra and I think that that's for me you have that anti-butch sentiment but then later on you want to create characters like Poppy and and um, Tasha and you want to try and create your version of butch even though you've intentionally made sure that Shane is not butch and you get you created Myra who you have receiving all this anti-butchness it's just all you're gonna hear me say this a lot through this episode it's just all weird but Carmen is definitely a big transphobe. Um, Carmen also tries to tame Shane. I think you guys mentioned that earlier, that that's yeah. why people like her so much is because her big thing is trying to tame Shane. I don't think we at this point have seen anyone try to, but we will see it several times between season three and season six. I think season one and season two, they were just letting her be out in the world. You know, we knew that what they say every time Shane walks into a room, a girl leaves crying. Um, so <laughs> this and, and then she she had her own stalker in season was it season one or season two? The girl Lacey that was going around uh, following Shane My to favorite. events, <laughs> following Shane to events and handing out flyers. And he, this girl paid for billboards because Shane didn't want her no more. That is commitment. Oh, no. And wait, wasn't that the chick who was married to Melissa Etheridge? 
What? Chick who plays Lacey was married to Melissa Etheridge. In, in real life? life? Oh, I don't know. I don't yeah. know nothing about oh, Melissa wow. Etheridge. <laughs> Probably. Maybe. <laughs> Eileen shaking those people. Yeah. <laughs> so Carmen tries to, sh- t- to tame Shane. We're going to put that on the back burner because we are also going back to Dana, who's Dana. Her health is now declining. Um, she started pushing Lara away as her health gets worse until Lara finally leaves for some job, which basically gives Alice what she wanted, which was to have Dana back in her life. Um, you know, the, the whole story with Alice and Dana as friends who become lovers, who become friends and maybe, are, you know, dependent friends. What was your take on the relationship between the two of them? Because I think a lot of the show died when that relationship started getting up, you know, going up in the air and then Dana died. I I just thought those two were a good fit together. Like, I think that Dana balanced the crazy and the kooky of Alice. And I think that Alice kind of made Dana more fun. Yes. Yeah. Very yin and yang. That was part of the trauma of Dana dying was that relationship dying because you, you would have thought that that would have been the relationship to to stay on the show and keep the show itself centered and balanced and give it its comedy because it didn't have comedy that much after that. So during this time, also, Kit has hired Billy to be the manager of the planet. Billy is a raging cokehead. Um, <laughs> Billy is a raging cokehead, and he but he notices you know Mara's um, determination or desire to transition. Um, and being that he knows all the druggies because he's a cokehead, he starts supplying Mara with illegal tea medicine or tea shots. Um, and at least once they slept together, well, not slept, I don't, they didn't sleep together, they fucked, which honestly was it is also one of my favorite. I have a lot of favorite sex scenes on L Word. Um, Billy and Max having sex on the, in the planet on top of the bar is one of my favorites. Um, that is so like, <laughs> please hand me the bleach like now. Like. <laughs> I, I love that scene. I don't, but I, you know, I like really, I like really urgent, like, Ugh, I got to do it, sex. So, yeah. Okay. We're finding out so much. Or at least I am. I will, and that I'm will, like, get to it, sex. Just get to the sex. Just get, just do it. Just yeah, I loved it, and it was, and, but also the difference between Max and Billy, and later on Max and what's um Tom is that it was the first time that Max you he actually used a strap on Billy, and that was when you know Max started to see that he wanted to identify more as a um, straight man which is something that's going to come up later on in season um, three as well. Um, Max's transition does become a big plot point as well or because of the, the T-shots. Also, they have the, the episode where Max is fundraising for his top surgery. So they really, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting, the, they, the way they set up Max, you thought that they were going to be very responsible with this character. Absolutely not. I I did. I mean, I didn't ex- I didn't expect how terrible they got. Aside from the Carmen shit, I didn't expect it. I guess I was wrong. Why did you expect this, Stephanie? Because I know what year it was. Yeah, I'm like y'all, man, y'all not ready. <laughs> we weren't. Re- I mean, we not ready as a whole. I mean, hell, I mean, I don't even know if they would do it 
well in 2019, if we being completely honest. That was one of the questions in the um, article about are they will they create a character to counterbalance the damage they did with the Max character? So I, I, I'll, I'll say I this. So when it comes to these kind that, of shows, though. I think with these kind of shows, that's how like they have black shows and they say it's for the white gays. This show, even though it is a queer show, it's for the straight gays. Hmm. Work. Hmm. That's the so like, Yeah. Cisgendered, binary, just straight up gay and lesbian. Yeah. It's like make it as like watered down as possible for straight people to get it. Hmm. And I'm saying this is a straight person. And I mean, like, don't make it, that. don't make it nuanced. Don't make it like complicated as all life is. Just make it very, very simple. Well, I mean, it's like, like Pose. Pose is an iconic show because it's. I said, I have an idea for a show. Here, people who this show is about and whose history it is do the show. Yes, which That's is my favorite thing so about good. Pose. Yes, yes, absolutely. That Eileen Jacob thinks she knows everything. Yes, absolutely. And like the three main leads, Moaning is. How's it? Alicia Haley is like still Alice essentially in real life. Beals is just along for the ride. They aren't necessarily of the community in the way you need to be to make a show work. Best written character on Glee because he was Ryan Murphy. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Correct. Well, that's why I, and I love Pose too because of one, how diverse that room really seems to be. And even though Ryan Murphy is the producer, he's like, yeah, I'm producer but i really don't have nothing to do with yeah this. here's I'm your money go do your office. thing and that's always my favorite <laughs> thing about pose too is that because we didn't explain they finally when they first announced that ryan murphy was doing the show oh we was up in arms but the fact that he, we all know that he hates women yeah so it was I, <laughs> look the, the fact that he was like i'm going Fucking home y'all guys. he was like i hear go a show I'm going home. I did look. I did what the Lord had me to do, and I'm going home. That I I will give him a round of applause for that. So let's move on. Through. It's your money, right? Exactly. So some important things that I didn't take down as notes, but things that happened in the show during this time. Tina does eventually leave Henry again. So see, Tina trying to figure her shit out. Tina, you know, leaves Henry. Um. And yeah, that there's nothing else important that happens with Tina Leap and Henry. That the important stuff will come later in season four. Um, one of my favorite episodes. So there was an episode where Angus, so Angus, I'm sorry, is Bet and Tina's nanny. And Angus starts mm-hmm. having his own cougar relationship with Kit. And um right. yeah, he starts having his own cougar relationship with Kit. And la, 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 I want to make sure that this is turned down. Um, he starts having a cool relationship with Kit, but then when Tina and Bet break up, he he starts only working for or keeping Angelica when she is with Bet. And since Tina is living with Henry, Henry's babysitter Hazel starts actually watching the kids. Um, and then there comes a point where, let's see, we didn't get to that until the end. So we're going to, we're going to leave that where it is. Does he cheat on her in season three or was that season four? Oh yeah. That season was, four. That was season four. Okay. So yes. So there is Angus. Um, there was something that I was about to say about Angus before we got into my favorite episode. 
Oh, yes. So Angus convinces Kit to record an album. So one thing that we didn't talk about with Kit is that Kit is supposedly an old 70s singer. Um, and every once in a while they would pull out because, you know, Pam Grier did actually record some songs. I don't think she recorded an album, but she did actually record some songs in the 70s when she was Foxy Brown. So they pull some of those stock um, images and everything. And Angus convinces her to record an album. He basically tells her with all of her connections that she would be able to record a pretty good project. Him and his band. This is how you know it's old. Him and his band have actually put together an album and they're releasing it on MySpace. Ooh. <laughs> that hurts. Do you remember putting like music, like when it first, there was a point where you had to like find a music player and then grab the code and put it on uh-huh. MySpace. Yeah. And like, if you were like me and you were a terrible teenager with lots of feelings, you would change it depending on like who was breaking your heart at any given yes. point. Like that, that, <sighs> went, that went along with them giving you the option of um, the option of changing your. It first it started with a top eight, then it yep. went to a top fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then my particular like somebody should have just murdered me as a teenager. <laughs> Right. And then my my ex, she learned how to create wallpaper. So she had created all these different wallpapers with just us because she was crazy. Um, yeah. So she can, he convinced her to do an album and for the, I'm trying to find the episode again. I'm really, I'm usually much better with this. Um, he convinces her to record an album and she's able to enlist Nona Hendrix to be on the album with her. So while some of the friends are out of town, no, before they go out of town, they go into the, they go into the studio to record his album. And Helena actually, so this is this one where Helena is using her money to actually, as her mother would say, buy the friends. So Helena charters a plane and takes him to a WNBA game. But before that, they actually record this album. And I couldn't bring it up with Nona Hendrix. I'm going to play it at the end, so it doesn't matter. So they record an album with Nona Hendrix. And it really gives um, Max and Dana an opportunity to talk about their different journeys. One interesting thing that's been happening, now that Dana has lost her breast and Max is having a top surgery, they start kind of juxtaposing the two journeys, which I never really felt comfortable with. Um, because they, it, it was really putting quote unquote womanhood in your boobs, which was some real turfy shit to do. I told somebody the other day, I said, you know, when you go back and you binge watch the L word, you really come to figure out that the whole cast is actually a bunch of turfs. They, Most they, of. they are. Yeah. And did anybody else make that connection between them? Um, juxtaposing Max having the top surgery versus Dana losing her breast to breast cancer. Oh, um, yeah, I did because I was right in the cut of, like, activism around trans rights really early and starting a GSA in school, and we were all like... Wait, you're cutting out. <laughs> you're cutting out there. Of, like, high school activism starting GSAs and all that shit. Mm-hmm. So when we were watching it, we were firmly going, bullshit. No. Like... If you're telling us dudes don't get to look at us as like giant walking vaginas, how is this any different? True. Very particular sphere at any given point. I'm pretty sure people in Ohio were not picking up on that. 
Did anybody else have any thoughts in re regards regarding to that particular connection? Um, I think as a person who has had a affect cancer in their life, um, to kind of compare the two, like, oh, we're having the same journey type of situation, it was a whole lot of crap for me. Because having to forcibly remove your breast and, and making a choice to remove your breast are two totally different things. Yeah. What did you guys think about the implications or is it just another of the continuing implications of them not really um, doing a, a good job of illustrating trans issues? I think at that time in 2006, the idea of trans issues wasn't what it is now. So I don't even think they completely had an understanding of what it was to try to convey it properly. Hmm. I believe that you are correct. <laughs> y'all don't laugh at me. I don't have no time for y'all shenanigans. And the way that y'all treating me is wrong. No, but I think that you are correct. A lot of, as we said earlier in the episode, a lot of it is actually, once again, recalling, you know, where we are, where we were in that time in history. And, um, you know, a lot of, it's hard because you can still recall where it was in history, but there wasn't always, that wasn't always necessarily a good excuse for a lot of things. So, yeah, I wanted to go ahead and play this song. Um, to me, as a, an African-American person, it's one of my favorite scenes because, you know, a lot of people, when they think about LaBelle, they only think about Patti LaBelle. I love, you know, Patti. I love Nona. I didn't know until I did research for this show that this song is actually a Nona Hendrix song from 1984 and that they were just covering it. Um, but they do go into the studio during the show and Kit record the song and here's the song. Sisters. From one sister to another funky sister. It's all about transformation. It's all about change. It's one thing a woman knows about. Constant. Change is the only constant. We bleed and don't die. We sweat when it's minus 50 outside. We fight in the battles side by side. It's a sister thing. It's a W-O-M-A-N thing. And we're coming together. We're pulling ourselves together.
So that's the song that Kit recorded with Nona Hendrix. It's one of my favorite moments. I can't can never get that song out of my out of my head. <laughs> so we go through um, Dana's health crashes, and while Alice is out on a date, Dana actually has to call her. They take her to the hospital, and Dana passes away. It's a. This is like the major. This is the climax of the entire series. Dana's death to me is the climactic event of the entire series because you know the climax is always where the the, the tipping point because everything else is going to go downhill from here um dana dies they have the funeral with her a funeral that's eerily identical to bet's daddy's funeral another white ass funeral um where her family denies that she's a lesbian she is white <laughs> well no i mean not not like that i'm just saying how 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 dana's uh funeral identical to bet's daddy's funeral i'm still angry i'm angry Okay. No, don't don't judge me. I'm angry. It, it just judge don't make everyone. sense. Don't it don't make no sense. He a black man. He need that. They need to at least sing precious memories and uh and you know <laughs> take my hand, precious <laughs> yeah, Lord. Yeah, precious Lord. Yeah. Then both of them. They need to sing both of them song. And they need to have somebody. They could have had Shirley Caesar come sing Heaven. I'm going there. They could have did something. It was it was wrong. <laughs> it was wrong. So a lot of feelings. Alice stands up and declares she was a lesbian, and that's the end of that. That's the end of the Dana arc. Um, last episode of the season, Helena takes them all to this fanciful location because at this point Shane has cheated on Carmen, and if they spent two whole episodes crying and being mushy and getting on my nerves, so Shane reluctantly asks Carmen to marry her, and Helena takes them all. That fixes everything, right? Helena takes them all to Canada and finances all their family. She take all the friends. She take all of Carmen's family. She take all of Shane's family. Shane didn't even know the family was coming. Cause Shane during the season found her, her trifling ass daddy and his wife and kid. She take all of them to Canada to have his wedding. And then Shane's punk ass get cold feet because she see her trifling daddy and leave Carmen at the altar. We'll never see Carmen again. But we do found a couple of things comes out of that. Number one, Helena Mama finally cut Helena's ass off, tell her to stop trying to buy friends with money. Oh, because Shane stands Carmen up because Shane runs to the daddy and the daddy got some other woman. And then no, no, no. Shane, Shane leaves her daughter because Shane's a little fuck shit. Well, yeah. Let's be clear. I'm talking about the story. Okay, I'm talking about the story. So her daddy then got with some woman and then convinced Helena to give him $10,000. And that was Helena's mama. That was her last straw child. She uh, cut Helena off. Um, and then it turns out that the woman in the, when the cold opens, because I told you it had all these cold opens with all these people on the chart. Turn out one of the women on the chart is Helena's mama. Helena mama out sleeping with women's. Mm. So oh, was yeah. that the tennis camp one? No, not the tennis camp one. Her mama was I don't remember what the cold open was before that episode. But whichever cold open that was, that was her mama. And one of the women from the nun one is the preacher that was gonna marry Shane. Oh. Yeah. So that's how that happens. So she cuts Helena off, but also so at during the course of this, before they went, Helena had had um the lawyer draw up divorce papers and who was having them sent to Tina. Not Helen, I'm sorry, Bet was having to sent to Tina, but then they reconciled on the mountain, blah, blah, blah. And she didn't want to divorce her. Not divorce her. <laughs> was it divorce? Yeah. Not divorce. She didn't want to um Oh, she was she was going for sole custody. That's what it was. 
And so they, they, you know, reconcile, they nice, they like each other. So she tries to stop Joyce from sending the sole custody papers, but she can't stop it. They already sent it. So instead, bet ass, get the baby and run away, child. She run away to Mexico. Hey, well, that's what proved that she spends too much time with white people. Because she, she went to Mexico. Lifetime movie. <laughs> lifetime movie. So Bet runs away <laughs> to Mexico. And I'm sorry, I lied, y'all. This was not where Bet, where Tina left Henry. She ain't left him yet because Henry was still with them in Canada when they um when they talked about soul custody. She's gonna leave him at the beginning of season four. Don't worry. She's not gonna be with a man for long. <laughs> Hey y'all, so that ends the first part of our L Word retrospective. Make sure that you are following the C-Dub show across all social media platforms, that you are subscribed to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Podbean so that you can hear the second half. See you later. The C-Dub Show.